This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show, folks, to give you uh, the tools to, to create your best life ever. And what better way to do it than today? We are going to be talking about love just a few days before Valentine's Day. Uh, in our first hour, we're going to be talking about how to avoid settling for mediocre love. Are you listening, Ben? Yes. Well, Ben, in your case, honestly, I would just love you to, I don't care if you settle or not, just get some, go get some mediocre love. Just anything. I've been looking up at um, myrussianbrides.org. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. All right. Is that a pretty trusted site? or uh, Da. Eh, depends. Well, okay. watch, just watch your bank accounts. That's all. The <laughs> only advice well, I have. Well, I've, I've already, I've, they needed a certain amount of money to like. Oh, yeah. Send pictures. Like send pictures and send like documents and right, stuff. Right, right, right. So did you did you give them that certain amount, or um, did you just give I, them your card? Or yeah, yeah, I just gave them my routing number and my account number. Oh, perfect. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's safe. Very yeah. efficient. Very right. efficient. It's safe. Anyway, um, today is Make a Friend Day, February eleventh. Make, make a, a friend. friend. In your case, you might want to make an attorney. Ben, you're going to well, need one. Well, I, I already know the the Nigerian prince, so oh, do you? Yeah, he'll he'll help. Yeah, there you go. You're e- you're emailing each other, correct? In fact, you've yeah, been, you're coming into some money soon, aren't you? Um, yeah. So he's he wants to share his his fortunes with me. Jeez, yeah, that's great. I only had to give him like a thousand dollars, so it was it was pretty. It's wow, a bargain. A thousand, and you'll get what? How much in return? Well, I I mean the thing is he he just wanted to make sure that I was a good Christian person, and. Yeah. He needed a certain amount of money to open, like, to access his funds. Yeah, because, yeah. Yeah. He didn't and, have, yeah. And so I should be expecting it within, like, the next two or three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Things are looking up. Yeah. So nice. you're, you're really, you don't, yeah, you don't need to raise money for your ice cream endeavor. Yeah. It's. You got all you need. Exactly. Thanks to your Nigerian friend. Prince, sorry. Yeah. It's a prince. Prince Ali. Hey, here's the deal. Nate Bagley is going to be joining us, and he is uh, going to be talking to us about how to avoid settling for mediocre love. He's documented these experiences in the Love You Mentory Project. He also has a TED Talk uh, called Fight Naked and Other Epic Love Strategies. Whoa. Yeah. You know, that's age-old wisdom that you can fight. If you guys want to fight in your marriage, you can fight, but you have to fight naked. And then what happens is you're laughing so hard that you don't want to fight. Hmm. Right? So it's that, that's interesting. It's it's kind of a reverse psychology. Yeah, a little bit. But for some, it made a lot of people want to fight more. Hmm. You figure that out. Okay. Hey, uh speaking of fighting, yeah. They're on to South Carolina. There's there's Chris Christie's gone. Carly Fiorina, gone. I mean, they're on the South Carolina, but there's other contests sort of. Yeah. I just knocked all your stuff on the floor. Um, uh, it looks like uh, the burn, the burnster and Hillary Clinton today. There's a debate tonight. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, really? OK, great. I'll, it's I'll really weird how up. the Democratic Party, are, they're doing this. They, they kind sneak, of sneak up them on, in. Yeah. yeah, they don't advertise. No. They just sort of, hey, by the way. Hey, 
if you guys want to go to PBS, we might have two of our top candidates debating. But we're not going to – we might. Yeah. I mean, seriously. It's interesting how they, they – you'd think they'd want to publicize more. You would think so. Well, I guess what's your goal? If your goal is to have people listen to the candidates, you'd want to publicize it. Yeah. You'd want to maybe have it at a time when a lot of people want to watch it, like a Thursday night on PBS. I think it'll be simulcast on CNN as well. Yes. So so you're not out too much today. Um, anyway, did you hear about this cruise ship? Which one? There's a cruise ship, a Royal Caribbean cruise ship that has been – you got caught in the storm? Major. Yeah. 6,000 people. I went on a, a cruise and you're like, there's no, the, you look at the size of the ship and you're like, there's no storm that could even affect this. Yeah, it nah. would just cruise right on through. This no. thing is huge. No problem. Uh, what happened to these people? These people, 6,000 people. Like, just think of that. 6,000 people in a storm with waves that were like, that were almost tipping the, it was tipping the ship on its side. Wow. And this is the Royal Caribbean. It's one of their biggest ships. Isn't that crazy? Like, what do you, what do you do? They say some people are like, it's the scariest thing. They have video of little shot glasses or little uh, mini bottles of alcohol that were just flying off of tables. Wow! All the tables were tipped over. Well, it's it's apparently making its way back into uh, into port. Like, full I, full refunds like for everybody on board. Yeah, really. They're, I think they are. They're giving major refunds to <laughs> or, get everybody back. Or they'll back. get a, a voucher for another cruise. Hey, next time you come on a Royal Caribbean cruise, we'll give you free beverages. And we promise we'll check the weather report before we go. <laughs> it is honestly – I so I take people on What they do, drive through a hurricane? Pretty much. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, 125 mile per hour winds battered the ship. Mm. I mean it's horrible. I take people on cruises and we do like marriage retreats. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. Roughly 12 hours of just Ugh. rocking. Just confined to your rolling. quarters because, you know, you can't be in the hallways. Mm-hmm. See, I had a hard time. Just It was just slowly making its way through the Caribbean. We're just sort of, you know, no no waves whatsoever. And uh, I, yeah, I get a little motion yeah. sickness that oh, way because yeah. the hallway starts moving uh-huh. and you're like, whoa. So that well, would, when that you see the water me. glasses moving a little bit, yeah. This listen to this. The nightmare included four hours when the 1,100-foot-long ship was at 45-degree angle. Ooh. <laughs> the ship did suffer some superficial damage, but, you know, what do you do? See, my wife and I... Love the show Deadliest Catch. Oh, I do too. Right, so they're out yeah. on they're out in the, uh, off the coast of Alaska fishing, yeah. Bering yeah. Straits, crazy stuff. Relatively small fishing boats. Mm-hmm. These aren't huge ships. Yeah, and they're just getting tossed all over the place. And then you get a cruise ship that's massive, and the same thing happens to it. Have wow. you ever been deep sea fishing? No. It uh, a there's things in the ocean. Super fun. Yeah, way fun. But you're on a really small boat and. It's pretty gross. Yeah. We went, when we were kids, <laughs> my parent, my grandparents would take us. And seriously, no, you couldn't catch a fish until everyone got sick enough. And then when they started, like, getting sick over the side of the boat, fish on, fish on, all the reels start hitting. Mm. Um, it's chumming. And it's, it's illegal in a lot of states. You're chumming the water. 
But That's gross. Honestly, we would get so sick. And my grandma, my wonderful grandma, would go every time just to make her husband happy. And Oof. she'd be underneath sick as a dog. Man. <sighs> 23 to 31 foot seas. That's crazy. Can you imagine? They were locked, basically told to go to their room and stay in your room. And those are great rooms, by the way. Oh, yeah. Great rooms. <laughs> they always tell you, don't spend too much money on the cabin because the whole point is not staying in your room. Mm-hmm. But you were probably only in your room 12 hours. On this ship? On this one. Yeah. But you were bouncing actually, off the walls. The neat thing was you were able to actually bounce off every wall for 12 hours. My wife actually got sick. A little, little seasick as we were out there. And uh, it just happened during the NFC-AFC playoff games. Mm-hmm. For uh, the NFL, and so I, I was like, I was the supportive husband. It's okay, we can stay in the room. It's fine. And I just watched the the playoff games on TV all day. Oh, that's great. And then the evening game, we went up on the deck. We're out in the Caribbean. It's nighttime uh, on the back of a ship. Just watch it, watching yeah. a massive big screen football game. It was awesome. I'm like See. football, Mexico. Uh, football. It was great. Yeah. Well, what else would you rather do? I mean, really. oh yeah. Well, so what we're gonna do? I'm gonna have a cruise, and we'll all go. Is that all right, Ben? Well, except Ben, because all his money is going to Russia. Well, no, but Ben's going to get all the other money from Oh, the from the prince. prince. He I, could probably pay yeah, for it. Yeah, I'll just pay for you all. It's, nice. it's totally fine. That is so cool. Thanks. We probably ought to book great. our tickets by, I'm thinking, a couple weeks. Yeah, I, I actually know a really good cruise site, so I'll, I'll okay. book it for, for everybody. How well, about you let someone else use the internet? Because you seem to have a certain type of website you like to go I've, to. I've been scoring lately. <laughs> have you? Hey, here's a question for you. Do you guys, are you big um, cereal eaters? Mm, not really. I have a son-in-law that just loves cereal. Just can't get enough. And uh, this guy, listen to this, a man is begging for help to overcome his addiction to cereal. Munching a staggering 13 bowls uh, a day. I don't know if he's addicted to cereal. <laughs> Read on. He's he's uh it's his 13 bowls every day are topped with a whopping 138 spoons of sugar. That's what he's addicted to. Yeah, how could you be addicted to cornflakes? Yeah, he's addicted to what he's putting on the the fo- oh man. There goes Ben. Always it's, always, it's always soggy cornflakes yeah. too. Uh, it, it you watch you look at the pictures, he has a little, you know, bowl of cornflakes and then there's just a mound of sugar and he has this bag of sugar next to him. Philip, uh, who has eaten an estimated 14,235 bowls in three years, and what does that amount to? Like one trillion ton of sugar. Uh, He devours six boxes of cereal, 15 pints of milk a week. He said, weird, his weight has soared. No way. By 56 pounds. What about his, I guess the possibility of diabetes has gone through the roof too. Yeah. Killing his pancreas. Or just, just what about the possibility of his head exploding? Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess, um, yeah, uh, you know, we're trying new diets on the show. Yeah. This wouldn't be one this you'd want to try. But, I mean, if you just got rid of the sugar, there's probably nothing wrong with eating 13 bowls of corn flakes. Yeah. Except, he, you know, it's a lot of corn. But he's only up to 210 pounds, though. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got some work to do to really make it. Yeah, a health problem, probably. But he is four foot two. Okay, that that's an issue then. So it's he's falling apart, quite honestly. Hey, uh, anything going on in the headlines, Terry? We yes, there about? are. The last four armed occupiers of the Oregon National Wildlife Refuge say they plan to turn themselves in at eight p.m. Pacific, nine p.m. Mountain, eleven p.m. Eastern today. So they're announcing it because I guess they want um, 
They want the press there so they yes. don't get shot. A live stream set up to broadcast the remaining hours of the standoff of the federal property stopped after more than five hours Wednesday night when the group headed to their night camp. I listened to this this morning, about 30 minutes of Did it. You? It's pretty funny. I knew you would. Is that the police talking to them? So you got a man and a woman who are yelling at the the police or whoever it is, and then the the police are saying, "We can't hear you. We don't know what you're saying." Because come just, closer, <laughs> and they're telling them to stand down. And the it, it gets kind of disturbing at one point where they're like, "We're ready to go. We're ready to die for oh, this." Come you know. On. But then like there's there's a guy that's running the live stream. And he and he's sitting at his computer, and he has the, the the walkie-talkie next to the computer. So he gets on the walkie-talkie and starts talking to the guy. Hey, you need to calm down. You need to control the message. You need to help everyone understand what's happening. We need to narrate this thing. And the guy's like, "They have guns. I'm a little busy right now." <laughs> you know. Oh, I hope it goes. So it well. goes. We're not surrendering. We're turning ourselves in. It's going against everything we believe in, says Sean Anderson, one of the occupiers. The news came after Cliven Bundy, the father of former Oregon occupiers Ammon and Ryan Bundy, was arrested at the Portland International Airport late Wednesday on his way to the refuge. The 40-day standoff escalated Wednesday when FBI authorities surrounded the facility after 27-year-old David Fry drove outside the encampment, then allegedly sped back in as agents approached. Mm. Nevada legislator uh, Michelle Forey, a Republican supporter of the protesters, drove to the refuge to try to help negotiators uh, to negotiate a surrender. Cliven Bundy faces federal charges related to the 2014 standoff at his ranch over federal control of public lands and a million dollars he hasn't paid to the government for the lands he used to graze his animals. Uh, and there was uh, a jury, a grand jury, that has indicted... Everybody. For the most part, like yeah. 12 people. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's no charges, so they're trying to serve warrants and go get people. Mm. So this might come to a head and finish up today. We can, oh, I hope it We just, can move on. I'll, just, miss, I'll miss the live stream. I will, too. Live stream's funny. But, but maybe uh, they'll save it. Maybe they'll archive it. There's four hours of it on YouTube if you want to listen. <laughs> oh, that's getting heated, too. In other news, Chris Christie, Carly Fiorina, officially out of the presidential race, leaving us with Bush, Carson, Cruz, Rubio, Trump, Kasich, and who else? Gibson. Jim Gilmore. Gilmore. <laughs> former Virginia governor that no one knows is still running, but he's still out there. An email from Bernie Sanders' campaign touted that he raised over $5 million in 18 hours after the polls closed in New Hampshire yesterday, or the other day, when he won the primary. The average individual contribution of the campaign received was $34, according to the campaign. Tonight's Democratic debate in Milwaukee will be shown live on PBS beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern. The event will be simulcast on CNN. Wow, okay. Two sheriff's deputies killed in Maryland on Wednesday after approaching a suspect inside a restaurant during lunch hour. The suspect had some outstanding warrants and decided that he wanted to uh, resist, and two uh, deputies were killed. And a police officer in Fargo, North Dakota, was shot during a standoff over a domestic dispute. Fargo Police Chief David Todd said the injured officer, identified as Jason Mauser, has a unsurvivable wound. Mm. So that's three cops yesterday yeah. uh the u.s olympic committee is planning to hire two infectious disease specialists to consult on the glowing growing alarm over the zika outbreak in brazil ahead of august's summer games so they'll have some specialists yeah, on hand and do the athletes want to go and catch the yeah disease? I, I think there's a growing uh concern and so they're trying to answer that concern with some uh, staffing 
Um, also, a long-rumored Bruce Springsteen autobiography is in the works, mm. with sources telling Page Six, so the New York yeah. Times, that the book also uh, sold to Simon & Schuster for an advance of over $10 million. You know some things about advances. Yeah. I don't know if you've gotten one. Well, but no, free money. Free money until, to write a book. you got to deliver a book, and gotta, then you don't make any money until you've delivered that much value. The boss had put off writing his life story for years. Uh, when The Who's Pete Townsend and Neil Young both released their own autobiographies, Born to Run, the title of the book, mm-hmm. will be released on September 27th. Wow. Now, it's called an autobiography. Do you think Bruce is writing his own story? No. Otto did. O-T-T-O. A guy named he's Otto, an, Otto. He's a writer named Otto. Is going to write the book. Otto wrote the biography. Yeah, I, I have a feeling but Bruce didn't, but he, he probably wrote some of his songs, right? Just not his autobiography. Interesting stuff. Man. Ten million for a song, for a book. Wow. Okay, folks, uh, we're going to take a break, but uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, and you need to figure out how to strengthen your love, how to avoid settling for mediocre love. Joining us in just a minute is Nate Bagley uh, from the website Love Humanity, and uh, he also did a TED talk called "Fight Naked and Other Epic Love Strategies." We're going to be talking about how to build a healthier, happier relationship. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Uh, Ben's been marking it off for about a year, which is exciting. Yeah, like 360 days. <laughs> Five days you forgot about it because you were in love. Well, we still have three more days, so it was two, two days. days two days love. of like the after effects. Oh, that was so close, though. She almost was a keeper. Well, yeah, you actually almost were the keeper. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, to be technical. Took me two days to get over it, and then now I'm. After that, I was back on the horse. I feel so bad for you. That's why we brought Nate in today for you, Ben, because Nate Bagley's here. He is our guest. He's going to talk to us about love and how to find it, how to avoid settling for mediocre love. Ben, uh, Nate Bagley left a successful career in internet marketing to tour the U.S. interviewing real couples in happy, successful relationships. And he has documented these experiences in what he calls the Love Humanity. If you go to the website lovehumanity.com, you can watch all of the videos. There's what are you up to like eighty videos or something? Yeah, it's all audio, so it's um, a bunch of podcast episodes. We're approaching a hundred. Really See, stoked about it. And then you just sit down, Nate Bagley. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's you, great, great to be here. Then you just sit down with these couples and pick their brains on what. It's the key to success. Exactly. So the the whole story behind this is. I was getting a lot of pressure to get married, yeah. you know, getting older. Right. My younger brothers were starting to get married, and everybody's like, Nate, what's going on? Why aren't you getting Come married Come on, yet? man. Are you, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? Right. <laughs> and it's, if you look at the landscape of love, you know, you've got the, on average, 50% of couples get divorced. And then yeah. I looked at the couples who were staying together. They didn't and, seem so happy. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how? Um, right. That's not, you know, we're not doing a great job at selling love or marketing love. Yeah. So I was like, when I get married, I don't want to have a mediocre relationship. I, and this project has actually led me to declare war on mediocre love. Good, great. I think mediocre love is just horrible. Yeah. Too many people settle. And I, I decided I wanted to have an amazing relationship. 
And the best way to do that would be to go track down the couples who had ridiculously awesome relationships and figure out what they're doing differently than That's everybody cool. else. And then, so but you quit your job to do this. Yeah, I'm a crazy person. But I guess, too, that got everyone off your back because it's not like you're not trying. Right. <laughs> you're yeah. studying it. Yeah. I mean, really, you've made it a, you've made it a science. You, you've have, you have a TED Talk out there as well, uh-huh. Fight Naked and other epic love strategies. But what what are you first of all I guess how do you know who's got the best relationship um because it seems like a lot of people could fake it yeah a lot of people could fake it I think if you're willing to sit down with me for like two hours and talk about the most intimate relationship in your life you've probably got some sort of Something's confidence that you've on. got something right. there and I, I find almost all these couples based off of referral. Mm-hmm. So I would sit down and say, you know, Matt, yeah. who are the people that you admire most? Who, oh, which relationships do you love the most? And tell me a little bit about them. And when I get a bit of a flavor for a couple of those couples, I'll ask for an introduction to one or two. And um, I just kind of go based off of that. And if there's one thing – well, I've learned a lot of things over the last several years. But one of them is that there are as many recipes to yeah. true love as there are couples who have it. No, right. Exactly. So just because – I've interviewed some couples and I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's for me, but if that works for them, I can mm-hmm. totally see how that Well, and it's – last night I spoke to – I don't know how many there were, 100 um, parents, pe- people, couples, well, 50 couples, 100 parents of families that had lost children. Mm. They, their children had died. And it was – so I sit there and I think of a mediocre love – and it's one thing to like have incredible love and an incredible connection, and then it seems like it's another thing to then be able to take that love and make it through an event like that. Mm-hmm. And some people may go into it without with a mediocre love. And do you do you sense that you can then turn it? Can you turn the love around? Yeah, I think I think you could, like these the couples almost have human, to. Right? Yeah, you you those times of trial are they're the test that that proves whether you're going to turn towards each other in a time of conflict or turn away from each other. Yeah. And every amazing couple that I've interviewed has has been through a time of difficulty, whether it's severe illness, losing a child, yeah. bankruptcy, you know, losing a job, losing a parent. They um, all have an event. Yeah, they have a time of struggle. And all of those couples chose to turn towards each other and work together as a team to overcome hmm. the obstacle rather than turning away from each other and blaming each other. Yeah, that's huge. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, you, you hear that a lot in, from relationship experts, mm-hmm. but it was really cool to see how those things happened. I remember um, I talked to one couple, Reed and Aline Whitesides. They had been married for over 70 years. They got married in their teens, and yeah. I interviewed them in their 90s. Oh, great. And they they had gone bankrupt twice in their <laughs> relationship. And at one point, they said they, they and their kids ended up buying boxes of silverware and selling silverware door to door to keep- To just keep up. Keep, to keep afloat. But, you know, they could have got mad at each other and said, this is your fault. No, this is your fault. Yeah, you know, your business you, failed. Right. Uh, why weren't you mani- the, managing the finances better? But instead they're like, hey, well, what can we do? And they found a way to scrape by and dug their way out of the hole and, and made it out. And that was just a great testament to oh, me yeah. that, you know, if you can work together as a team, you, you can come out successful. Right. No, yeah. I love that. And, and, and this is interesting because you're doing this as a single guy. Yeah. Do you – I mean, do you ever worry that you're setting your expectations so high or how do you – because you don't want mediocrity. No, I don't. But but maybe it's something too you just – you have to create. I don't know. It's definitely – Because you're not going to just go find the person necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, if I could use an analogy. Yeah. Um, I like to use the analogy of baseball. 
So a lot of people play Little League Baseball growing up. Probably most kids play at least one season. Right. And T-ball, then, yeah. Yeah, you play T-ball or, or Little League Baseball. And then when you get into high school, only a small group of those people go on to play high school ball. And then a small group of people who play high school go on to play college ball and so on and so on all the uh, way up to the World Series. Right. A fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the percent of people who ever played baseball get to play in the World Series. Yeah. I'm a weird person, or unique, I guess, in that I'm training for the World Series of Love. Right. And I don't want to play the game with somebody who's stuck in Little League or in high, at the high school level. Yeah. So it is difficult, but what I'm looking for is somebody who wants to train at that level and not somebody who's already playing at that level. Mm-hmm. So That's cool. Yeah, I think my expectations are high, but they're also realistic. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. part of it, I think, is just getting somebody, too, that's like-minded, that's that serious and intentional about having a love yeah. that's powerful. And I and I won't claim to be a master yeah, of all this stuff. Yeah, you don't have to be, right? You'll you know? learn it. And and it's theory is much easier than practice. Right. So I'll be the first to admit that I've interviewed all these couples and have learned a lot, but putting it in practice is something that I still struggle with yeah. and I'm very aware of my own weaknesses and I'm in what we just talked about, you know, all these I've interviewed all these couples and they've all gone through really difficult times, so I'm not ignorant to the fact that mm-hmm. my relationships are going to go through hard times yeah. too and that, yeah. that I'm imperfect. And Well, it's kind of like I always talk about like Everest. You can interview everybody coming down Everest, uh-huh. but I mean on the way up Everest, they can say, you know, it's going to be really hard. Yeah. And on the way down Everest, they're going to say, you know, it was really hard. But the guys coming down Everest know what hard is. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but in the end, you just got to climb Everest. Yep. And and you'll know when you get up there, right? You'll 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 be up there, and all of a sudden, then you'll have all this wisdom coming yep. back to you. The neat thing about what you're doing is that you're trying to find the wisdom now. Trying, yeah. Is it interesting? Is it are the singles who who do you sense are your audience? Uh, a lot of singles and a lot of young couples. Uh, yeah. But I think there's a lot of a lot of singles out there who are hungry for love. Totally. And we're going through, I think, this cultural shift. I'm ho- I'm hoping this is yeah. a cultural shift that's happening, where we're realizing that 21st century love doesn't just occur naturally as mm-hmm. in human beings. Yeah. It's a skill. It's a skill that's acquired over time with when you do the right work, when you study the right principles, when you have the right mentors. You know, love becomes much easier, but not until you develop those skills. Do you actually have the ability to have this type of dynamic love that everybody dreams about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, we always like I always think of like Romeo and Juliet that was just so natural, chemical love and so and so emotional, and then they committed suicide exactly. <laughs> and they didn't have the skills to negotiate family issues and right right. So then death became seemingly romantic, but really a, just a cop out. For a lack of skills. Exactly. And I think that's brilliant. You, yeah. need, you need the skills. Let's take a break, Nate. We're talking with Nate Bagley from the website loveumentary.com. He's, uh, he's teaching us about what he's learning about creating a legendary kind of a big-time, non-mediocre love, uh, a lasting love, really. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back. More with Nate in just a minute. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, uh, in preparation for Valentine's Day, we're talking about love 
and how to avoid settling for mediocre love. Nate Bagley joins us. He is uh, the founder of the website Love Humanity, and he has made it a personal mission in life to go figure out, really, I guess, the principles, the keys to highly, I guess, successful, strong love. Exactly. Non-mediocre. So def- define what a mediocre love looks like, because some people out there might be thinking, eh, I got I'm in love. Yeah, I think um, I think mediocre love, it would be the type of love where you're just kind of sliding through life. And uh, what's 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 his name? Steve um, sliding versus deciding. Ooh. Um, let me look. I'll tell you. You just uh, keep going. Just, OK, so the idea behind uh, mediocre love for me is people who are just kind of complacent. They just kind of slide from one transition to the next, from one stage of life to the next without ever really having conversations. Scott Stanley. Scott Stanley. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love Scott. He's Scott awesome. Stanley. He's yeah. got a blog called Sliding Versus Deciding and probably a book also. Yeah. And the idea is that when you intentionally decide what how your life is going to look and how you're going to experience these big life and, and even the small life cha- transitions and changes, that it, it makes um, it elevates your game and makes you a lot more decisive and aware of how you're showing up in your relationship. Right. Um, a great example of this is I've, I've got two quick stories I can share yeah, with please. you. Yeah, um, please. One, I know of a couple who he came home. The husband came home one day from work, walked in the door and yelled, honey, I'm home, and heard no response. Walks through the house, ends up finding his wife on the computer looking at Pinterest, and he goes, hey, babe, how's it going? And she doesn't even look up from the screen and goes, hey. And he goes, no, 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 no. We're going to do this again. So he leaves the house, comes back in a few minutes later and goes, honey, I'm home. And she rounds the corner and goes, <laughs> Steve. And she just jumping up and down, screaming, yeah. gives him a big hug and a kiss. And they loved that moment so much that they decided to make it a tradition. So now whenever somebody comes home, the yeah. partner who's home waiting for them makes a fuss over them for 30 seconds. And that one intentional decision to celebrate when your spouse comes home completely had like created a transformation around their relationship. And, and that was deciding. Yeah. It's an intentional Instead of just sliding act. into, you know, oh, he comes home every day around this time and we're just going to move right into life together, they they created a moment around this That's one huge. transition point. Right. And now it's like the the puppy dog, you know? You know somebody's always excited yeah. to see you when you come home regardless oh, yeah. of how bad your day is. Except they don't lick your face. Yeah, or maybe they do. Well. You never know. But you know what's so cool about that? Like that's, and how many times a day do you get to choose? You're just making a choice. Yep. And we choose to just ignore each other all the time. There's four major touch points during a day. When Mm -hmm. you wake up, when you leave for work, when you come home from work, and when you go to bed, that you can create these special moments. Um, Another great story of somebody who's, deciding rather than sliding is my friends Josh and Jenny Solar. They live in Kansas City and they were on a road trip as a family. They had their three kids in the back seat driving down the freeway and Josh leans over to Jenny. He pulls the car over to the side of the road in the middle of the freeway and I guess not in the middle of the freeway yeah, but pulls the, the car yeah, to the side, side of the road of the and looks at Jenny and says, hey Jenny, uh, get out of the car. And she's like, I'm not getting out of the car. <laughs> and he's like, Jenny, get out of the car. And she's like, Josh, I'm not getting out of the car. It's raining cats and dogs outside. And he says, Jenny, get out of the car. I want to make out in the rain with you. Wow. And they, you know, he turns they did. Yeah, they got out of the car. They they made out in the rain. And I'm thinking, okay, now how many people Do they have kids? Down the, they have three kids. They're in the backseat just yep. like, what the heck? So Josh, he told me, he looked in the backseat and he's like, kids, do you want to go play in the rain? And they said no. And he said, fine, you can watch me and mommy kiss. And so they got great. out and made out in the rain. But how many people would just keep no. driving or complain about the rain right. while they're driving? But Josh is like, I have an opportunity to make a romantic memory. That you'll never forget. That you'll never forget. And he can tell that story for for the rest of his well, life. Well, and then how many wives might be so practical, they'll be like, I'm not, I don't want to get wet. <laughs> right. I don't want my hair wet. Right. 
So all of a sudden our practicality kicks in and that uh-huh. just enables us to slide. Yep. And John Gottman calls that uh, bids. Yeah, exactly. You're, bids you, and turns. Yeah. So you've got the uh, – in that situation, it was um, Josh who was bidding his partner, Jenny. And if Jenny would have said, no, thanks, I don't want to do that, then she's turning away and yeah. not accepting the bid. It happens all the time. And so part of what you're saying, I guess, is be intentional. Just make your love – something that you're going to actually decide to do, like Scott Stanley says, instead of hoping you find it, hoping oh, yeah. you happen upon it. The coolest thing I think about love is that you get to decide what it looks like, what your relationship looks like, how it feels, how you interact with each other. Uh, there are so many people who just like kind of coast through life mm-hmm. and their relation, whatever happens in their relationship just happens. But it's so magical. It is so cool when a couple intentionally builds their relationship around what's important to them and around what's important to their partner and you just like there's nothing more powerful i can't tell you how cool it's been to sit in the presence of some of these couples and you can you can literally feel the love and it's this contagious thing and once you get a taste of what it looks like once you hear a josh and jenny story you start to go holy crap how can i have that i want that what what does it take to have that and i think the the most important thing to me is – the most interesting thing to me is it's not as hard as a lot of people think it is. Right. I, I think we want to pretend like it's that hard. But really what it is, it seems like, is you're vulnerable. Yeah. Right? So it's – you're afraid. Like what if she doesn't reciprocate? Right. What if I put myself out there and say, come on, let's let's pull over and let's go kiss in the rain? And she's like, you're weird. <laughs> you are weird. Yep. There's definitely that fear of rejection. And all of a sudden, yeah. And you can see that – you can almost see that like a young newlywed couple would do that and the one of them would say, you're weird. Um, and then they don't do it again. Yep. So I'm not going to risk again. Once you get shot down once, it's like, mm-hmm. mm, maybe I'll stop trying. So I guess part of what you're learning too is just you, you got to make it intentional but you really have to keep going. Yeah. This doesn't end. And if you do get shot down, if you do make the effort and get shot down, be honest about it. Be honest about how it made you feel and say, hey, I wanted to do this special thing with you and you said no and it hurt. Yeah, And I want to keep trying to do these special things with you, but it would mean a lot to me if you would take me up on it yeah. you know, and, and not and think yeah. I'm ridiculous. And don't name call. Yeah, and don't name call. Great. Don't be such a baby. Man. Oh, babies. Um, well, these are great lessons. What What else are you seeing? What else? Because you've now seen – you've interviewed about 80-something people. Uh-huh. What, what are the, some other learnings that stand out that you think, okay, I've got to – I've got to remember that one. Yeah. So we talked about love as a skill. Uh-huh. We talked about creating some important rituals. Right. Uh, one of the most powerful lessons that I learned came um, from this couple that I met in southern Georgia, uh, Joseph and Ann Gaston. And they had been married for about 60 years, really fascinating couple. And at the end of our, my conversation with them, I turned to Ann and said, Ann, if you could give one piece of advice to single people like me, what would it be? Without missing a beat, she looked at me and said, "Don't be afraid to be the one who loves the most." Mm. And I was like, "Oh man, you got to be—you got to be kidding me!" Like, yeah. we're raised in a culture where people say, "You know, he who cares the least has the most power." Right. And I we're, hate that phrase, yeah, but it's me true. Too. But it, I mean, you see it, but it doesn't have to be right. And and maybe that maybe that strategy works to score a couple of dates and to right. flirt with each other, but. If you want the sixty-year relationship, here's this woman who had been through, who'd been in, who'd been married more than twice as long as I've been alive. She obviously knows something I don't know. Yeah, and and obviously that relationship is, has to be taken with, or that advice needs to be taken within context. Like if you're in an abusive relationship, yeah. you can't be the one who, who's constantly forgiving and, and such. But 
Uh, it kind of goes along with that vulnerability piece where if you want to have extraordinary love and a love that lasts, you got to be the one who's willing to take the risk. Mm-hmm. You got to be the one who's who apologizes first, who says, I'm sorry, or asks for forgiveness, admits when they're wrong. You got to be the one who maybe uh, makes a bid for intimacy, even though it might be scary and you might be facing rejection. You got to be the one who maybe gives up something that's really important to you so your partner can have something that's really important to them. Mm-hmm. And being the one who's willing to love the most is if you have two partners who have that mentality together. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, and, and, how amazing would that be? And if you only have one partner, it the other partner has a reason that uh, they're afraid to love. Right. There's some reason. I mean, humans would want to be loved. Yep. And so if they're not doing it, you're still increasing your odds. Yeah. And Because think- if you shut it down and you're not going to do it and they're not going to do it, then you, you won't have the love. Yeah. And I think when you do take on that mentality, a lot of people don't want to take that risk because they don't feel safe taking the risk. Right. But if you start living that way and being the one who's willing to love the most, you create a space in your relationship that feels very safe. And yeah. suddenly that person over time, I believe, will open up right. and start taking those risks along with you. See, that's what's cool about it. a lot of this is, you know, it's just kind of some of it's age old wisdom, some of it's the latest and greatest research. But that's what I've always found in the world of marriage and relationships is there's a ton of information, but it's not out there. Yeah. There's not a lot of great marketing of the information. There's a lot of people that want to sell their book. Yep. But usually they're a one or two trick pony. Yeah. And there's very few that have, you know, kind of an endless source of ideas. And the, the neat thing about love is there there are a million ways to create it. So many ways. It's which ridiculous. is why the idea of the love humanity is cool because there's no end to the what you learn from every interview. There really isn't. I li- re-listened to interviews and it, it blows my mind. Um, I was listening to one the other day, my friends Ty and Terry, they live in Omaha, Nebraska. And when I interviewed them, uh, Terry said that her goal every day when she w- w- wakes up in the morning is to love her husband Ty so that at the end of his life, um, he would sit there and think, wow, Terry was the greatest earthly blessing in my life and I'm a better man because of how she loved me. Mm. And then a few months ago, they were on vacation and passed away in a car accident. Oh, my heavens. And I, like tragic, tragic news. It was heartbreaking yeah. and left a community completely stunned. And the first thing that came to my mind was that phrase that she said, I want to love my husband so that at the end of his life, he thinks Terry is the greatest earthly blessing. Oh, and that's great. And I'm like, they totally pulled it off. They did it. And they went out of this world together. And how amazing, Seriously. how amazing, Matt, would it be if everybody thought that about their partner? Oh, and and even and loved them that way. And imagine the kids get to watch that. Children are watching their parents creating that level of intentional love. Yeah, that's huge. It's amazing. That would be amazing. Well, and it. I think it can happen. It's just. But in, I can just imagine a listener out there thinking, "Well, yeah, that's okay, but you don't know my husband." Yeah. So so when somebody says that to you, uh-huh. what do you say? Ah, uh, you know. I think a lot of people don't think this type of love is possible because they haven't seen it. Yeah. People people learn to love from the role models and examples they have access to. And I think that the men or the women who just aren't like that probably have never been taught to be like that. They've Maybe their parents or their community was never like that, and they've never been shown what's possible. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it's really valuable for people to get exposed. You've heard the phrase, uh, Jim Rohn, I think, said it. You're the, av- you're the average of the five people you spend the most yeah, time with. right, yeah. I'm a firm believer that your relationship is the average of the f- five couples you spend the most time with. Hmm. So if your relationship is struggling, look at the other couples in, in your life. 
You know, are your friends the kind of people who complain about their spouse behind their back? Are they, the, are, right. they are they impatient? Are they short with them? Do they complain a lot? You know, do they they have a lot of friction and tension around money or around the kids or around sharing responsibilities? Or are they the type type of couples? Are you surrounding yourself with the type of couples who love their spouse? Right. Who totally praise them? There's there was a study done. Um, they compiled over thirty years of relationship research and tried to identify the key factors in like the most the most common factors and what what caused the most amazing relationships. The, and the three that they came up with were love, commitment, and then um, there's this idea of you believe that the third, I, the third principle was that you believe that your partner is the absolute best partner in the world and that your relationship mm-hmm. is absolutely incre- incredible. It's like yeah. you have to have this happiness delusion. Yeah. And when you're surrounded with other people who are delusionally happy and and think that they're in the most amazing relationship in the world, you're going to think yeah, you, about yeah, you start looking for the signs, yeah. and and the inverse is true, right? So when you, yep. so well, everyone else is nitpicking their husbands. In fact, they, there there's research about when you one partner, when one friend divorces, the likelihood of you divorcing uh-huh. goes up. Oh, when yeah. family members divorce, the likelihood of you divorcing goes up. Because all of a sudden the yep. delusion—it's like seventy-five percent. Mm-hmm. It goes up like dramatically. Yeah, there was a Pew Research study that I read this week, that, and it depends on if it's a sibling, that. if it's a yeah. yeah, it's it's scary. Yeah, divorce is contagious. It is, and contention is contagious. Mm-hmm. It uh, it's called so, behavioral contagion. Exactly, and contagion theory, which also means you could the the opposite is true. So happiness could also be contagious. Absolutely. Yeah. So surround yourself with happy people who love their lives and you'll start to see your relationship transform a little well, bit. Well, and and maybe too start reading, start studying, start looking for positive examples, role models. That's why the love documentary, yeah. I mean, if you just read one a day or listen to one podcast a day, yep. That was my big thing is I'm like, okay, look at the media. We've got two extremes in the media. We've got the hyper-romanticized, The Bachelor, you know, mm-hmm. Disney movies, Twilight on one side. And then on the other side, you've got the Desperate Housewives, like really cynical celebrity scandals. And basically, whenever you hear about love in, yeah. in the media, it's either hyper-romanticized and completely unrealistic <laughs> or just trash. Yeah. And I'm like, how can I find? How can I put a spotlight on some of these couples who are doing it right? And realistically, they have problems and they have struggles, yeah. and they love each other dearly mm-hmm. and really invest a lot in creating something amazing that's totally doable. Yeah, yeah you don't. We it is. We we seem to just pick up more of a love is the bachelor. Yeah, the show, the bachelor. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, no. Oh, then it's the Kardashians, right? I mean, yeah, hard hard pass. Yeah. Something's not right. There are a lot of things that are not right. But the beauty of the podcast is I, I, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people who are like, wow, this gave me hope. Or, yeah. oh, this is what I can have. Or, wow, I'm changing you know, this about my, myself and my life so I can have the type of love that Ty and Terry have. Or right. have the kind of moments that Josh and Jenny had. Or you know, I'm really throwing myself into my relationship like uh, Anne said, you know, be the one who lo- don't be afraid to be the one who loves the most. And these little tidbits of wisdom that these people have obtained over decades of marriage of having great relationships. Those are the things that are really, I think, helping couples oh, yeah. thrive. And and it, when you think, too, it's just information, right? Yeah. But that's kind of all you need and then a, and then an action. Information, a little bit of hope, and some yeah. action. Yeah, just yeah. act on it. So even today, anybody listening, take one thing you've learned today and go do it. <laughs> I mean, now I know Ben's going to go home, and I just I hope he's praying it's raining. You're going to celebrate when your when your wife walks in the door, right? If he had a wife, 
Yeah, I don't have a wife. So well, one day. Well, yeah. me neither. I don't have a wife either. So we're in the same club. He, we'll pound it. Ben Ben has ice cream. Ice cream is delicious. I think it's the next next best thing to having a wife. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of a deterrent not to have a wife, though. Yeah. So yeah, you're using it. You're using it. I think to to supplant to replace is that your coping mechanism yeah it's are you self-medicating ice cream cream. he doesn't even just eat it he makes it you make it i know he's an ice creamer what do they call you um dealer he's an ice cream dealer dealer. (laughs) anyway we appreciate you nate that's great stuff again the website is loveumentary.com loveumentary.com and you can also go look up his ted talk uh, fight naked and other epic love strategies by Nate Bagley. Thank you, Nathan. My pleasure. Thanks Appreciate for having you. me. Keep up the great work. I will. Uh, and again, everybody, take it in. And what's one thing you've learned from Nate today that you need to go implement in your life? I mean, he just he cited I think three or four scholars in the field and four or five stories from friends and interviews that he's done. So go check out his blog, his blog and his podcast. And keep learning about love, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Such great uh, stuff. That's one of the reasons we do this show is to to give you the insight and more information that you don't necessarily get, I guess, kind of in the just mainstream media. It's There are incredibly, um, I don't know, incredibly profound lessons and research that exist about healthy relationships. And some of the information you hear about divorce rates – aren't even accurate because they're, you know, they're more complicated to explain. Uh, Even a divorce rate of like 50%, that's not accurate. 50% of one generation, baby boomers, had a higher uh, divorce rate than millennials do, right? Or than X-Gen and so, or Y. So when you think about it, There's a lot of information and a lot of it's misinformation, which is the goal of the show is to help you cut through some of these these issues and get down to some real basic truth. But the other interesting thing is some of the best lessons you're going to ever get on love, on family, on parenting, on relationships, they're in your own life. Oh, no, my parents were messed up. Well, sure they were. Everybody's parents are messed up. It's that's I think why we have parents. So we can learn and so we can figure stuff out and so we can understand how to adapt to imperfection. But um, really, take it seriously. What if all of a sudden you just made a, a sincere goal to improve your love with your partner? Just improve it. You don't even need to go buy a bunch of books. You could go look up a blog. You could just go to our podcasts and download just look up relationships or marriage uh on the Matt Townsend show if you put marriage and Matt Townsend show in Google 
you're going to come up with a bunch of different shows that you can go listen to. And just start learning. And then take one learning every day and say, what's the most important thing I can do today to show more love? And even tell your spouse, hun, today I, I mean, I'm really working on love now. I want to be a better partner. Risk. Say, say something. Risk it. Put yourself out there. Set the expectation. Anyway, folks, um, I don't believe you're going to necessarily find the right person. you got to become the right person with each other. We'll take a break, folks. That's our number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, more tools, more ideas to help you love stronger. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach. Today we're talking about love again. We did our first hour was all about love. This hour also about love. This is kind of uh, love, midlife and beyond. The children love it. They love love. So once you've had the infatuation stage. Yeah. Now you have to. You know, now you're living with it stage. Well, and then you're in a weird stage because all of a sudden you have to start dealing with parents aging. You have to start dealing with the fact that your hips are going out. You know, sickness, illness. That didn't really sound as positive as it could be. Living with it stage. Yeah. You're just sort of, oh, it's still there. But (laughs) love, oh. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about how to create a thriving relationship. In midlife. Gotcha. You know, that stage of midlife, which is great. Because so what's, what's midlife? It's, it would be the middle of your life. You uh-huh. want a year? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, because, I mean, you know. Well, let's see. I'm 46. So Probably mid- going to live till what, 70-something maybe? No. I mean, this, you... I'm going to live to 105. Oh, wow. So midlife is 50, 60, mm-hmm. not 40, I'm not even 50. at midlife yet. Okay. You know, the now, is it thing... after so many years of marriage? No. Because if you get married... Now, many people believe that marriage is like dog years. Okay. Not ears, dog years. One and is seven, right? One year of marriage feels like seven years of life. Really? That's so profound and beneficial. Okay. Not taxing and exhausting. It it's doesn't just, sound that way when you say it's, it's like seven years. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like it, it has the potential to be seven years of beauty. All right. Right? Okay. I'd go with it. You're, you're, the, you're the one with the doctor in front of your name. Yeah. So we'll be talking with Dr. Gay Hendricks about uh, creating thriving relationships at midlife and beyond. Because you, you think about it, you've got you've got a lot of life to live, and a lot of times it's with half the chemistry. You know, it's easy to live with a ton of chemistry on board because you just got you're just running around in circles, yeah. in love, sure. But eventually, some of the chemistry fades. And then you got to create this loving relationship. How do you do that at midlife and beyond? You like that? We'll be talking about that. He's the co-author of the book Conscious Loving Ever After. If Buzz Lightyear was a couple's counselor, <laughs> midlife and beyond. Wasn't Bud, Buzz, I mean, in love with that little red-headed cowgirl? I think everyone had a thing for Jesse. Jesse, is that her name? 
My son has a Jesse yeah. doll. No, no, so. no. You don't need to make excuses. Totally no. Lots there's Jesse. No, lots bullseye. of people love Jesse. I didn't know her name, but that's. I, I, I spend most of my evenings sitting next to Jesse on the couch. Oh, you do? I do. My son walks in for some reason and says, You need to sit next to Jesse. I'm like, Okay. Your son's 16, right? He's four. Okay. Thought he was 16. No. Uh, so does your son have a. Does he have the cowboy? What's the cowboy's name? Woody. Woody? Yes. He has a Woody doll and a Jesse doll? And a Bullseye the Horse and Buzz Lightyear, a full size Bullseye. How great. With the wings and all of Yeah. That's a neat. You're a neat dad. Well, you know, spoiling children is what I do. So, you, so he plays Woody, and you play Jesse, and no, then we play. I, that's the thing is, I don't really play. He just brings the brings them in the couch because they need to watch TV also. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. That's cool. What a great dad! <laughs> I would never do that. I played Barbies actually. Well, yeah. You have to play with the child. Mostly we play with cars. I would my daughter had a pink Corvette Ooh. with her Barbie. Okay. And I had a Ken doll. Uh-huh. Not a Ken doll. It was like a G.I. Joe. Okay. He was manly and he was wearing camo. He was manly. And he was he'd have a machine gun <laughs> and sit in the front seat of the pink Corvette. He's riding dirty, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> riding dirty in the pink Corvette. That sounds like a great song. It is. Riding dirty in a pink Corvette. <laughs> Lay down a beat for me, Ben. It's the next, next uh, Bruce Springsteen song. Is that? Yeah, that'll yeah. be coming out in his book. His, uh, It'll be tied book. in with his autobiography that he's not going to write. <laughs> How does auto. that work? If you So Bruce Springsteen, yeah. autobiography coming out later this year. Right. But he's serious not. doubts for me that he's actually going to write this book. No, so, so Bruce will sit down with an author. Okay. That will help get out of Bruce all of his important information, and they'll probably dictate it, and Bruce will just tell all of his stories, and then they'll transcribe it, and then the this writer will then put it all in a format together, all of the stories, because that's really what people want are the inside stories from Bruce Springsteen, and then they've been pretty much dictated by Bruce, and then Bruce will read it, it or someone will read it to Bruce, however that works. And then he'll edit it. Ah, no, it was more like this. I think Jimmy said this, not this. And hmm. then at the very end, he just signs his name at the end of it, and it looks like he wrote it. So it's not a true autobiography. It would be a ghostwriter. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's still his story. I, mean, he, yeah. he, you know. I, I don't know if Bruce writes all of his songs, but so there's probably a ghostwriter. Yeah. Right. So, but but Bruce I, is the singer. I just don't see Bruce sitting down and cranking out 100 pages every yeah, day. You know. Yeah. No, that's probably not. <laughs> but it's hard. Like books are. That's. I've got two or three books in my head right now that I want to write, but mm. I'm psyched out. I don't want. They're hard. Books any are any, hard any fiction? Yeah. Sci-fi. Uh huh. Dragons. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. There's about. There's a dragon. Mm. Have you heard about? There's a. There's a guy. He's a Nigerian prince. Okay. And he has access to a dragon. But he needs $999 to pay the fee to get his dragon out of Hawk. Interesting. It's like a customs fee. Mm-hmm. In, that is interesting. That would be a, a great plot for a book. It would be. That no That'd one be. would read. It's kind of rude. I'm just saying. No, it's rude. Maybe it's if rude. he threw in some spies. Oh, there's spies in there. Oh, okay. You never said you never mentioned the spies. Well, I, it was, I'm trying to. I don't want. I want it to be surprising. Okay. And there's also 
some romance. Of course. And then they'll stop and have a, a counseling session with no. their coach. No, no, no. No? no. You're not going to do that? Uh-uh. But guess who the lead, guess what the name of the lead in the in the book is? What is it? Benjamin. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. He's an ice cream vendor. Interesting. Out of the Middle East. Hmm. Well, if if you want a Persian version of Ben, it's Behnam. That doesn't work as well. No, I like Behnam. That doesn't test well with the audiences? So the audience is three people? Basically, it's me. Oh. It's like, no, I don't think that'll work. I think we'll move on from that idea. Thank See, you for your input, though. You I got, could even write it in Persian. This is why I don't want to write a book. Because you're already putting down my book idea. I do. I, I crush dreams. You're not a dream catcher. You're a dream crusher. That's how it works. That's <laughs> People go, how about this? Nah, that'll never work. <laughs> there would never be innovation if you check with me first. I'll See? crush it all. We'll never change. It'll why be the same always. Why don't you just go always. play with your Jesse doll? It's not a doll. Well, actually, I think it is a doll. It is a doll. See, I had G.I. Joes as a kid. Yeah. My dad tried to call them dolls. They were action figures. They were. Didn't you love the old G.I. Joes, though, where you could rub little bald spots on their head? The little ones? Do you remember those that had the little hair? Maybe that's before your day. See, in mine, mine, were, mine were pretty robust. The most had hats. But a real G.I. Joe, a real G.I. Well, Joe, like... had little peach fuzzy hair. Yeah. And back in the day, you used to be able to rub it a lot. And you would rub it little hair, his hair off. Give him a bald spot. You wouldn't want to do that. No. But you know, that's like where he took a mortar. <laughs> took a mortar right here on the yeah. top of his head. That's, that's how that works. Hey, um, anything going on in the headlines around the world we need to be focused on? There are. Thanks, Matt. Cliven Bundy, the Nevada rancher who famously got into an armed standoff after refusing to pay federal grazing fees, flew to Portland late Wednesday night. En route to the National Wildlife Refuge, there's been a standoff for, the, I guess, about last month and a half up yeah. there, where his son Ammon and Ryan Bundy had led an armed occupation until they were arrested last month. FBI agents were waiting for Clive and Bundy when he landed at the airport in Portland and arrested him. Bundy was booked into jail midnight on Wednesday, detained on a U.S. Marshal hold for his role in the 2014 armed confrontation with the Bureau of Land Management agents at his Nevada ranch. My question is, yes. they know where he's been for the last two years. Why did they wait till he flew to Portland to arrest him? He's at his ranch in Nevada. Ooh, maybe they just needed him. Rick Santorum went and hung out with him oh, over I know the summer. Why. I know why. Because he couldn't carry a gun on an airplane. So they probably had him in an unarmed situation where they could just easily take him. Okay, that makes sense. And he just, was, he's a willing participant. He's just at his house. Go get him. Oh, but can you imagine? Yeah, it's probably armed. That doesn't go well. Ammon Bundy's lawyer, Mark Mike Arnold, said that the arrest of Clive and Bundy could complicate the planned surrender this morning of the last four holdouts at the Oregon Wildlife Refuge. Here's some cuts from their standoff last night with officials. So the police are asking him to come forward, and they're <laughs> they're screaming back, "You have courage to come!" No, no, they're saying, "Have courage to come forward and surrender." That's what the police uh, are saying. You have courage. The the the, the, pe- the people at the refuge are like, "You have courage and just go home. Tell your boss you couldn't kill innocent Americans." 
Because they were convinced they were coming in last night to get him. Right. And the cops were just with a bullhorn saying, give up. Come on. Let's just all go home finally. Please. <laughs> we're in eastern Oregon. There's nothing oh. here. Let's go. So uh, the Elder Bundy owes the federal government a million dollars in unpaid grazing fees. Uh, the BLM agents came after him in 2014, and an armed militia confronted the agents. It was all over the news. This is a, kind of an extension of what's going on in Oregon, that same group. And the last of that group, the last four people, plan to surrender today at, uh, what is it, 8 p.m. Pacific time. So Unless 11 Eastern. the Clive and Bundy thing messed it up. Unless it messed it up. So we'll see okay. what happens. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie officially suspended his bid for president. Carly Fiorina has decided to spend, suspend her presidential campaign. But what about Ben Carson? He didn't do so very well in the New Hampshire primary. He came in second to last, beating who? Jim Gilmore. Former uh, governor of Virginia. Gibson. The guy no one knows. Jim Gilmore. But he said his backers aren't going to let him give up. They're reminding me that I'm here because I responded to their imploring me to get involved. And I respect that. And I'm not just going to walk away from the millions of people who are supporting me. Carson said he thinks he can win South Carolina. And he will be putting a lot of time and resources and efforts here. Democratic debate tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, PBS and CBS. Interesting. So that continues. Huh. Well, you kind of want a bunch of them to just get out. It'd be helpful. It kind of makes it, clears up the, the message, and you kind of get down to who you're going to actually uh, look look at for the uh, the votes there. After the Ferguson City Council voted, voted yesterday to amend the consent decree on local police reforms, it had negotiated with the Department of Justice. The federal agency sued the city. The Department of Justice will take the necessary legal actions to ensure that Ferguson policing and court practices comply with the Constitution and relevant federal laws says the head of the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. In a statement during Wednesday's afternoon press conference, U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch said our investigation revealed a community in distress and that Ferguson balking at, at, our, at the, uh, the agreements, uh, the decision leaves us with no further choice. So they made an agreement, the city and the Department of Justice, this is what you're going to do. They held a meeting and then the city decided, well, these three things from the agreement we're not going to do. And so the Department of Justice sued them and said, yes, you are. You will do it. And now, I mean, once you're in a lawsuit with the Justice Department, you're in a hole. Yes. So we'll see what happens there. But Ferguson continues to uh, to spin yeah. as they continue to deal with the issues they have there. Federal officers recently seized 2,400 counterfeit and possibly prone to exploding hoverboards in a shipment that arrived in South Carolina's Port of Charleston. The uh, paper reports there locally. The hoverboards, which were made in China, would have been worth more than 1.6 million retail, according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. In addition to being a fire risk, possibly due to faulty lithium-ion batteries, the counterfeit hoverboards also run afoul of U.S. trademark laws. Oh wow! So we talked about one earlier yeah. where they got a they uh, uh, intercepted a shipment out of Chicago. Now they're coming in through South Carolina. We're going to stop hoverboards. They had one burn down a million-dollar house over the weekend. Did you see that one? No. Someone was on their hoverboard, caught fire, house goes up in flames. How come the, how come the hoverboards didn't get caught in the cruise ship storms? Come on. Not sure. Just cruise ships got caught. They made it through. The hoverboards, those IED explosive boards. <laughs> they are. They're dangerous. So watch out for the hoverboards. They're but still the out children there. love it. They love a good exploding board. Daddy, may I play on the exploding board? Yes, son. You know what? That's why we invented our wonderful tool. Instead of a hoverboard, don't give your kid a hoverboard. They're they're likely to get hurt. Instead, give them a... Taze it. Taserama. A toy every kid will love. Increase the glow. 
And guess what? Increase the glow, slow the flow of blood. Decrease the blow. Yeah. Increase the glow, decrease the blow. So we need to work on our themes. Yeah, we'll get on that. Okay. Man. We'll put our people on it. That's good. That's good. Ah, oh, folks. Interesting stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Janelle Burley Hoffman will be joining us. Ten traits of tech healthy families. You got a family, and if you got tech, the two don't always mix into a healthy mix. Sometimes you need, you know, some rules. Sometimes you need to know what actually creates health when it's uh, when we're talking about technology and your children. Stick with us, folks. Interesting discussion about uh, how to how to merge the two. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. One of the greatest anthems of technology ever. Ben, don't you think he sings like Terry? Yeah, I I mean I've only heard Terry singing once. Yeah, that, sounds, that, that sounds was just like similar. That. Sounds just like that. Hey, um, technology and family, they go hand in hand, right? I mean, when I was a kid, grab a stick, go hit a tree. <laughs> that was my childhood. Stick tree games. But now our kids can have iPhones, iPads. Our toddlers can have them. I mean, there's so much going on for a kid today with technology. And the kids want them, right? They're begging for a phone at age eight. How come, how come, how come Jake gets a phone? Well, Jake's 18. Jake's 20. Jake, Jake's, you know, in college. Well, I know, but I go to school. How do you keep your kids from getting sucked into this crazy vortex called tech. And uh, when you think about it, how do we make sure that we raise these children in a healthier family-oriented way? Especially when you talk about um, we don't have any clue what an iPhone is going to do long-term to a child. The social skills lost. We don't know. The memory, the attentions, the ability to focus. We don't know the long-term impact of what this technology will do on our kids. We've only had it for a few years, right? We do know, according to some research uh, by Microsoft about attention, that our kids are losing. Their attention span is dropping. In fact, one of the studies basically compares you know, our attention span to being, um, I think it's about eight seconds. We have an attention span of about eight seconds. The average, I think goldfish has about a nine second attention span. They can focus on something for about nine seconds before they're like, whoa, shiny thing. And part of that is probably because we can just defer, right? We can go right back to our cell phone and my kids, for example, they know they don't need to memorize a lot of stuff because they just can find it on their phone. So how do we integrate the technology of our, of our lives and keep our family um, healthy, keep them focused, and keep them safe? 
that's uh, that's really what we want to talk about in this hour of the show. Also, one of the um, the big things we we really deal with, and I deal with it a lot with my family, is how do I discipline around it? Because I, if I take my kid's phone away, I immediately have all the power in the house. I mean, I can get my kids to do anything with their phone because that's the great source and the great anchor. And I'm not sure if that's good or not. I mean, at some point, is if that's my only access tool to have any power with my child, then I might be setting myself up. So we want to find other ways to connect. And in a few minutes, we'll be talking with Janelle Burley Hoffman about um, the the importance of of really managing your technology with your children and with your families. But one of the first things I've realized in my own life is if I don't have the discipline to manage myself, I won't have the discipline to manage my child. And I notice it's harder and harder for me to actually just turn off the device and not to just naturally go to it. It's something that to me seems like I naturally just defer to the the phone. So one of the big things I've I've been a big um, proponent of is let's start having a fast uh, where we just we just turn off the tech and we go without the tech. Let's just turn it off and see if we can go a week. Um, we've had, in fact, we've talked to our own, you know, Spencer Linton, who's uh, on BYU Sports Nation, and he lost his phone um, when he was on a trip with his wife somewhere. Somebody actually stole his phone, and he was without a phone for four or five days. And he said, honestly, it made their trip better. Having the phone stolen was difficult. That's hard. But he said it made our family trip better because it allowed us to spend time as a couple just phoneless and focusing on each other. He and his wife, I think, lost their phones. So do you have to have your phone stolen? Is that the best way, the fastest way to uh, to be able to handle technology? And do you just look at yourself? Do you have the discipline yourself to to turn off the phones, to take the phones? Do you have the ability to to not have to have the phones being a major part of your life? And again, I don't want to be anti technology. I think it's fascinating and I think it's incredible what's happening. And yet we also still need to relate, right? At some point, we still need to uh, to learn how to be healthier and and I guess actually more effective with our technology. For example, uh, some research came out talking about our children. Did you know that our children open, they have an open rate of their text messages of about 99% of text messages are read. 99% of the messages that they receive every year, I mean every day, are read by the child. And when you think about that, I mean, we're so frustrated by our kids because they don't do what we want them to do, except, and we can't even get them to pay attention to us, except they will open all of their text messages. How on earth are we supposed to succeed with our kids when they don't even listen to us, when we don't even have that power with them, that influence with them? It's a different day. It's a different age. And I've talked about it on the show before about how many times I've told my kids something and then they Googled it and they corrected me. No, Dad, it's 184,000 miles. Be quiet. Just be quiet. Do you remember back in the day when you didn't have to be exactly accurate? Because 
the latest Encyclopedia Britannica you had was 14 years old? Nope, not anymore. Now, folks, you got to deliver. Now you got to be able to hit it right on the mark, and you got to hit it on the mark every single time. So technology, it's not going away, and I do believe that there is a time and a place where we're going to have to figure our lives out enough to start leading the technology instead of letting it lead us and beat us up. So let me give you some tips and some tools for um, for leading the technology in your life, in your family, not just reacting to it, not just having to take it the way it is. Let's just teach you some basic skills for how you and your family can manage the technology <clears throat> in your life. First thing, I would make it an overt conversation. I would bring it out of the darkness. I would throw it up right into the middle of a conversation with your family. And I would simply say, technology, I'm worried, folks. I'm worried, kids. What, what, what do you see happening with it? And if I were you, I'd try to get your kids to start teaching you about what's really happening with technology. Because to let you in on a crazy little secret you don't have a clue what's really going on with technology because your kids know stuff you don't even think is possible. They have information you didn't even know was accessible. They have tools they're using that they don't you don't even you think you know. You think you know. You think you know what Snapchat is? You don't even know how they're using it, I bet. So what's cool is when I open a discussion up with my kids, some of the younger ones will tell us stuff that the older ones are doing. Some of the older ones will tell us stuff that their friends are doing. And it opens up a whole new conversation that for all of us becomes pretty enlightening. Um, And I'd even overtly talk about uh, issues like pornography and what happens when they see pornography online what they should do. Um, I wouldn't just demonize it. I wouldn't just sit there and blow it up and make it, you know, this horrible thing. I mean, it's horrible, but what I would teach my kids is what to do when they see it. I wouldn't just teach them that it's just gross and horrible. I would teach them that when you see it, do this. Turn off the computer, come and find me, and we'll, we'll get rid of it. Don't be afraid. I don't because the minute you demonize it, folks, and the minute you start making it a horrible, horrible thing that shames the person, all of a sudden they're going to take it underground and you're not going to have access to that child. The downside to um, like pornography, for example, is many of the people that are actually using it and becoming addicted to it, they are they have anxiety. They're they're anxious and they're using it as a anti-anxiety. They're using it as something that will calm them down, make them relax. It's the brain chemistry behind a lot of this technology that's the problem. It's not always the content. Like we always talk about the violence of the video games. But violence aside, those kids playing video games, it's medicating their brain. That's why they're doing it is because it medicates them. It numbs them. So we can argue about violence all day or we can argue about pornography all day In my world, I'm more worried about the medication effect. There's a reason they're choosing to go be medicated by that. So watch out for it and be careful because if you shame your child, if you shame your family too much 
about this technology or about what you saw on their phone and you shame them and you call them evil and you call them dirty and guess what's going to happen? They will go underground. They will take the issue and they'll hide it underground. And the minute it goes underground, you're not going to be able to deal with it as well. So instead, just address it full on. Talk about the impact of it. Talk about what happens when we get um, caught up into some technology. Talk about what uh, about balance. Talk about moderation. Talk about why it's important to be able to read and why it's important to read books, not just play video games. Video games are great. And I'm going to bet, folks, that our future is going to be filled with video game opportunities. More and more occupations are going to be coming from these video gaming industries because a lot of our interface, a lot of the ways that we're going to interact with computers are going to be coming from some of the ways that they're already doing video gaming. We already know that we can now have drone pilots that are video game experts that can now go work with the military and fly drones all over the world. Well, yeah, but that's only one thing. Well, except that we also found out that there's technology teams that can go get scholarships at universities around the country by playing on a video game team. And video or uh, universities are now sponsoring video game teams. And scholarships are being won. So your kid could actually go on scholarship to a university, a nice university, because they're a video gamer. What? That's not even a sport. You know what? It is. It's starting to be. Technology, folks, it's not going away. And we have to play it at a different level than we've ever played it before. So be careful. Be careful of demonizing them. Be careful of demeaning or shaming your child because because they play video games. Be careful of shaming them if you've caught them looking at pornography or something like that. I get that that's your instinct, and I get that it's against your value system. I'm totally with you. And the shame is going to do two things. It's going to probably increase the likelihood of them going back to it to medicate. It's also going to um, end up taking the the issue, the sin, the the tech addiction or whatever underground. So be careful. Be careful. There's really not a good purpose to ever shame someone. Shame is where they start thinking they're not worthwhile. They're not good enough. So let's take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion and uh, and and just keep learning what else we can do as parents. Managing families with technology so the technology doesn't take over. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Little sticks for you. I uh, I was pretty sure that don't nobody got no Mr. Roboto. I thought that was Japanese. Apparently not. One of my Japanese expert producers, Liana, keeps correcting me. Whatever, Mr. Roboto. Hey, today we're talking about tips for raising your your kids in an online world, especially how to raise kind kids healthy kids um, 
We've already kind of talked about be careful that you're not shaming them. Have a big discussion. Open the discussion up with your kids. Let your kids teach you because your kids know more about technology than you do. And so if you put them in the role of being the teacher, they'll usually open up a lot more for you. Let them help you with your tech issues. It's the greatest thing when your child gets to actually teach dad. And by having kind of that inverted power relationship where your child's the knower and you get to be the learner, you learn a lot about your kids. You learn a lot about how they think. You learn a lot about their esteem. So that's powerful. Some other tools that I would I would just – I'd highly suggest because they're things that to me seem to go to the wayside when we get into the online world. Make sure for your children you're modeling excellent social skills because technology, I have a feeling, is going to impair some of our social skills, right? Like we have people breaking up with people via text. That used to be a conversation we'd always have face-to-face. We have people that um, are asking someone out on a date simply by filling out a form or typing something in on their website. Now, there's nothing wrong with online dating, but there's going to be a day that you're going to have to face the person you're dating. And if you don't have the social skills... You're in trouble. So as a family and as a couple, make sure you spend time teaching your children social skills. Teach them how to make new friends. Teach them how to start a conversation with somebody. Give them some starters. Hey, that's a nice dress. Where did you get it? What are you studying? Just ask. Teach them some skills about how to start a conversation. Teach them skills about how to end a conversation. Have you ever been talking to somebody that couldn't end the conversation? And you almost just want to walk away. Okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. This isn't working for me. Focus on social skills. And that might even be something in a weekly basis, maybe at your dinner table with your kids. Teach them a new social skill. Make sure that you're also giving your children an opportunity to order their own food at the restaurant, that they're going up at restaurants, and they're if they have to go back and, and get something or talk to the adult, let your kids talk to the adult. Teach them how to solve a problem by talking. Now, it's hard when they're younger, but when they're a little older, coach them through it. Model it. Model it. Model it. The more you model excellent social skills, I think the more hope your kids are going to have in the world. In the end, it's going to come down to relationships. It's not just going to come down to technology. Think of your Facebook friends. How many of those do you even interact with face-to-face? You could also um, model while you're at it your values and your beliefs. Have discussions with your family about what are the family values. What do we believe in as a family? When you see a problem online and you caught one of your children having looked at pornography, bring up our values. Talk about your beliefs. Talk about why that's harmful. Talk about how it objectifies women how it changes how we see each other and have those conversations. Start letting your children understand that the decisions you're making about disciplining them are based on a family value of 
we believe that we should have respect of each other, and that wasn't respectful what you did. We believe that you should keep your promises. And coming home a half hour late, you didn't keep your promise. Tie your discipline back to your family values and your beliefs. Why that's important is because then as your child is interacting uh, with this crazy online technology that's ever-changing, they will always have a core set of values and beliefs that they can go from. No matter what happens online, son, be respectful. No matter what happens online, serve or love or care or lift people. Right? No matter what happens online, be safe. Don't invite someone into your life that you don't know. So model your model excellent social skills and model your values and your beliefs. Also, model connection and sensitivity. One of the things I think that happens with online experiences is um, we're we're in a weird state with these people. Uh, the research shows that you are much more likely to say something online than you are um, to say it to someone's face. You're more willing to say something in a chat room or like on a message board underneath an article that you didn't like. You're much more likely to be rude and angry and hurtful than you are if that person was in the room with you. There's just something about kind of the anonymity of being online that that's a problem. And the best way to fix it or fight it is connect. Teach your children that when they're talking to somebody via text, there's a human back there. Right? The interface is just the text, but there's a human being that and you need to be sensitive to what you say. Think about how they would interpret what you're doing. Talk about it. When they've when they've received a text message that was hurtful, bring it up. In our family once, I had my son that would take pictures of one of my other sons that were embarrassing. They were like when he's sleeping. And then he would he would take him with his phone, with the son that was sleeping's phone, and then he would send it out to all of his friends. And he just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Great. Now, if you live long enough and you have kids, you're going to have these issues with technology. So then we sat everybody down and we had a big talk. What does that feel like? So if your brother did it to you, how would you feel? I wouldn't care. Well, whether you care or not, what do you think he feels? He's your younger brother and you just sent a picture of him looking pretty goofy out to everybody he knows? That's hard. Have the conversations. Model connection. Show him what a healthy connection looks like. But you can't show him what a healthy connection looks like if you don't know how to connect. So that's why you're going to eventually need to turn off some tech once in a while and have some connection. And then another rule for you is just model the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You've got at some point, I think if if technology is going to continue as it is, which it will, it'll just continue doubling. At some point, um, we are becoming a, a population, I think, that is so addicted to instant gratification that I think we're in trouble. So we have to somehow slow the flow of instant gratification. And I would probably have a big discussion about it and challenge everybody in the family. 
what do you love the most? Teach him. You know, how many times have you just been going home and one of the kids says, hey, can we go to McDonald's or whatever? And you don't, you just, yeah, sure. You know what? Go home. Make a meal. That's one of the great things about making your own meal is it actually takes time. And the time with hungry kids is a good lesson to learn. But nowadays we can just shove a nugget in their mouth and say, there you go, pal. We're robbing the principles of the harvest, the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. If you don't have the discipline to feel the desire to look at your phone and not look at it, you're in trouble. Because that means you won't have the discipline when your kid is mouthing off at you in 20 or 30 years. You won't have the discipline to not go off on him. We have to start teaching our children about some of these uh, natural laws of like instant gratification and delaying gratification. So technology is great. Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's here to stay. And I think it's incredibly beneficial to our lives if we lead it. But if we're not leading it, then we are just being acted upon and it's going to create bigger problems for us. So lead it for heaven's sakes. Let's just lead it. Anyway, there's a little tech advice for you from Coach Matt. Now, you all, you knew this. You knew it already. The hard part is uh, it's living it. That's where it gets a lot more difficult. So we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, uh, do a few more news stories for you. The good, the bad, the ugly that's going on in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, in the news, in the crazy news, um, you got to hear this story. An Indian carpenter who has 28 fingers and toes says he has to be extra careful, you know, when he's working as a carpenter. I mean, you thought it's hard to not, like, bang your thumb. But when you've got, like, four thumbs, four times harder. This guy, listen to this, Devendra Suthar from Himatnagar in Gujarat, just destroyed that, in western India, has more digits than anyone else on the planet, something that is recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records now. A carpenter by profession, the 43-year-old suffers uh, from a condition called polydactylism and has seven fingers on each hand and seven toes on each foot, though two of his toes are joined. People come from far and wide along with their children to see the man with seven fingers, and uh, Suthar says he enjoys the attention. He said, because of my extra fingers, people here treat me as a celebrity. They come to see me, and the attention makes me feel special. Isn't that amazing? Now, of all the professions to choose, carpentry? It just seems like there's so many ways to lose a digit. Maybe he should have been a thief. I think it would have just complicated things. Why? 
just because you have like more ways to like get your fingers caught on yeah stuff. Well, maybe that's why you do it because you have extras. You know. Hey, Devon, um, did you just cut your finger off? Yeah. Don't worry about it. Got six more. Can can you hand me that towel? Isn't that amazing? Just got to put pressure on it. But you know what else is cool is that he's he feels good about it. Like, hey, look at me. That could be devastating, right? He could have, he, you know, he could have been a typist. Could have been a writer. Piano player? Yeah. He could have been a, a baseball pitcher. Can you imagine the fastball you could throw? It, it, the oh, picture, the knuckle? The picture does look odd. Oh, does it? I haven't seen the picture. You just have, you have your five... Mm-hmm. Normal digits, and then there's just extra digits hanging off the side of his hand. Oh, and his foot. Okay, that's different. I was thinking he could play like receiver. Who's the receiver that is so incredible that can just catch one-handed now all the time? He's always he's on Giants, I think. Odell got Beckham. In, Odell Beckham got in a fight, but I mean, imagine this guy just <laughs> catching balls left and right. Yeah, I don't I don't know how functional the extra digits are. They're just more like. Hang on. He he does talk about how it makes him a celebrity because he has, you know, this feature. I guess you yeah. could say. I think it's great. And, and for so him. people look at him and find it interesting. He does some tricks, apparently. Oh, he does. Yeah, I'm not sure what the tricks would be, but like a magic trick. Yeah, I guess. Have you I ever seen the disappearing thumb thing? Yeah, maybe he does he, the disappearing thumb. But on like seven of the what twelve fingers he has, or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, there they are. Yeah. Yeah. It looks just kind of, kind of odd. I'm not sure how fun. Like I'm saying, not sure how functional the other extra fingers are. Yeah. I mean, usually, like big hands would help you in basketball. I mean, there's a lot of places where extra digits would come in handy. Mm-hmm. He's got an. He, his foot is really wide. That was a pun, wasn't it? Handy. And <clears throat> just putting that out. Yeah. I was trying to not. Yeah. <laughs> but he's very stable. I mean, he's got a stable base. He's yeah. Good. That's cool, and I really think it's great, too. But it is kind of questionable that you take up carpentry. Well, yeah. The one place where you're probably going to lose a finger, or two, or in his but case, again, five, and but it's again, still be fine. But you, yeah. Maybe it's like a subconscious desire to be normal again. Wow. And so, like, wow, whoa, whoa. You just went, went kind of deep there. You all right? Yeah, I'm I don't, I don't. You don't need to strain yourself. That's it's a I, very I'm just trying to like do a, a deep analysis of the situation. Yeah, maybe he just he's trying, that's how he normalizes. Is that what you're saying? Well, no. So he want or he wants to lose. Exactly. Digits. So like subconsciously, yeah. he's trying to lose two mm-hmm. extra fingers on each hand. I don't know how he'll do it on his feet. Like but. the guy that's a base jumper, but says who's depressed, but he says he loves life. You don't don't be a base jumper if you're depressed, but that gives him energy. I don't know. Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. That's the insight you get on the show. You don't get it on other shows. We also, you know, but like you're saying, why why carpentry? Yeah, right. Why? I don't know. People get there. Everyone's an agent. They get to choose. We'll take a break. Next hour, more ideas. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is. 
is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side, your life coach on February 11th, Make a Friend Day. Uh, also known as Ben's hardest day of the year. Right, Benny? What? Nothing. It seems like a lot of work. Making a friend? Making a friend. Making a friend's easy. Keeping a friend? Hard. Make a friend? Give them cookies. Keep you, a friend? If you give a friend a cookies. Yeah. If you give a friend a cookie. That. By the way, hmm. have you received a cookie from I Ben lately? Uh, do you even consider him a friend anymore? I mean, well, now cookie? that I know that uh, he has this sort of cookie friendship equation going on, um, he's more of just a guy that works here. He did bring me some ice cream the other day, but it seemed like he had already eaten half of it, mm. and then he just handed me the rest of it. You shouldn't hand over leftovers. It, it was my breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, well, is that generally not that's. Not a way to make a friend. Oh, okay. That is a great way to make an enemy. You know another way to make an enemy? Steal something from the restaurant when you're unhappy with their, with the meal, you, if you didn't like the meal. Just steal something. It's not a way to make friends. No. A couple in the United Kingdom was arrested after they stole decorative mirrors from a restaurant. You're a monster! I'll take a mirror, please. Prosecutors said that the couple went to the restaurant for dinner, but were unhappy with the food and the service. After having a disappointing evening at the restaurant, Michael Ross, 36, and his girlfriend, not to be named apparently, uh, decided to take a mirror for, as compensation for the lousy meal. Hmm. And dessert, horrible. I'll take the cash register. Just start picking out pieces of furniture and decorations. So is, is that equal, do you think? Do you think the mirrors equal dinner? No. Not even hmm. close. Not even close. They, the surveillance video showed them taking a mirror from the men's bathroom while his girlfriend took another one from the women's bathroom. The couple placed the mirrors in their baby's carriage and walked away with them. I mean, it's not a bad way to decorate your house. On the cheap. On the cheap. Just start stealing it from random restaurants. Where did you get that straw dispenser? So what do you do when you have a bad meal, Matt? You're out to eat. The meal's not up to your your par of what yeah. you are expecting. What do you do? Do you pay for it? No. I lean over to my wife and I say, this meal is horrible. Let's run. And she's like, I'll tell him. And then she tells him. But you, you still pay. Or do we? Or do you? We just dine and dash. No, I'm too slow. No, you just pay for it. We But we would comment, hey, how about... Giving us, you know, how about cooking the meat? Uh-huh. That, that would be key for a meal, to have the meat fully cooked. Hey, could I have my uh, E. coli burger cooked, please? We went to eat at one place, and um, those metal brushes you used to scrub out the yeah. plates and everything, oh. there was a piece of that in my wife's food. So we got her food for free. Oh, really? And I was like, hey, what about my food? They said you didn't have a chunk of metal in it. I'm like, oh, did you good have, point, good did point. Did you have a chunk of metal in your food? <laughs> Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, no free food for you. That place has since gone out of business. No way. Yeah, it's weird. Ah, P- chunks I hate of, that. Chunk, chunks of metal in your food. 
But yeah, my wife was eating and she went, oh boy, and just pulled out this chunk of metal. Oh. And she goes, I'm done. Is done this eating. a gerbil? Where'd you get the gerbil? Then they then they asked, would you like would you like us to replace the meal and get you some more food? My wife's like, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, your, no guarantees yeah. that's not going to be full of metal. Could you go over to Popeye's and grab me a <laughs> shrimp special? Get me something else if you could. I so. would love you to replace the meal, but at the restaurant across the street. Um, yeah, I, you know, be careful. Yeah. Don't steal. That, that seems odd. Your food isn't up to quality that you want, so you go in the bathroom and steal mirrors. Yeah, people rationalize a lot of stuff. Hmm. You know what I mean? Today we're talking about love, speaking about rationalizing. Dr. Gay Hendricks will be joining us. How to create a thriving relationship, and especially, you know, as you're, as you're aging, midlife and beyond. Because, you know, the population's aging. I don't know. Have you heard of the baby boomers? I have. They're getting older. They are. And it, your life changes. I had a couple the other day that are retiring, and they looked at me like deer in the headlights, like this could be dangerous. For them to be together? Uh-huh. Wow. Actually, she's already retired, and he is about to retire in June, and they're terrified. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do when he's home. I, It's hard. I hardly like him at night now. We've got all day. <laughs> So, you, you know, re- relationships are hard. And with Valentine's Day coming, we want to help you strengthen your love at home. So we'll be doing that in just a few minutes. But before we get there, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the world? Breaking news this morning, Matt. Bernie Sanders Secret Service codename. Huge. No. When the Secret Service talking about Bernie Sanders, they refer to him as intrepid. Really? The Democratic presidential candidate's codename surfaced Thursday in a report just weeks after Sanders' request to receive Secret Service protection approved by the Department of Homeland Security. The socialist senator's name is approved, uh, was approved by Homeland Security. It is reportedly a reflection of his resolute stand against Wall Street and the establishment. Intrepid. Intrepid. What, what is Donald Trump's? We need to learn that. Uh, he's the fourth candidate with a uh, Secret Service name. Fellow Democratic contender Hillary Clinton. Her code name was Evergreen. Also receiving protection is Donald Trump. Yes. His is Mogul. Oh, interesting. Ben Carson has protection. Doctor. E- even though he doesn't have votes. Brain surgeon. Eli. Like Manning or I don't the know. prophet? Oh, Elijah or whatever. I don't know hmm. where that is. Okay. Tonight, again, another Democratic debate, 9 yes. p.m. Eastern. Can hardly PBS wait. PBS and CNN. So there's their, their Secret Service code names. Mogul. Mogul. We, take a note, Ben. We need Secret Service names here. I want a Donald Trump to be Orange Thunder. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Flappy top. Overly tan. Yeah, he looked sunburned the other day. Very orange man right there. Very orange. <laughs> So the U.S. Senate voted unanimously late Wednesday to tighten sanctions against North Korea in the wake of Pyongyang's nuclear rocket test recently. The bill targets anyone who directly or indirectly helps the hermit kingdom, uh, any sort of weapon proliferation, human rights uh, abuses, or any online activities undermining security of other nations, companies, whatever. They were together. North Korea tested the long, a long-range rocket last weekend, saying it was designed to put a satellite into orbit, but critics argue it was also a test for ballistic missile technology. 
because they mm. could reach out and touch somebody else with that rocket. Yes, they can. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio left the presidential campaign trail to vote on the measure. Senator Bernie Sanders did not return to Washington to take part. So that is a something to take note of because apparently Marco Rubio went and voted on something. Interesting. He's and been Bernie, accused of not. But so. the vote was like 96 to 0. Yeah, I mean, everyone, it was like the most unified thing we've done. North Korea, I think that we all can everyone has the same opinion. Hate that place, I guess. <laughs> uh, Reinhold Hanning, ninety-four years old, he goes on trial in Germany today for being a, an accessory to the murder of at least one thousand one hundred seventy thousand people. Oh wow! During the Nazi concentration and at a Nazi concentration at age camp, ninety something, he was uh, a guard at Auschwitz. Mm. The New York Times reports Hanning was allegedly an SS sergeant who met Jewish prisoners as they arrived at the camp in rail cars. While Hanning admits he worked at the camp between 1943 and 44, he maintains that he was only a guard and did not harm anyone and did not know about the gas chambers. However, others insist that he couldn't have worked there and not known of what was going on. Right. Uh, so elderly Holocaust survivors will be testifying against him in court. Hanning is one of several cases that have recently been opened against the former Nazis uh, in Germany as authorities step up their efforts to bring it, the elderly war criminals to trial. Wow. It, it brings up a debate. He's 94 years old, and we're going to br- take him to trial for what purpose? Well, and I don't know because also everybody goes through it again, right? Yes. And so it probably creates an upheaval in this country, and but, but it's people, interesting learning. People for it want someone sure to, to sit there and pay the price for what happened. But what do you pay for? I guess five years of some guy in if prison? that, who knows? I mean, more importantly, might be just getting the stories out and yeah. the tragedy of it all. Oh. Kind of an in- interesting story that'll be going on. Think, uh, imagine if the you're week. a German and you have you keep hearing this story, but I guess that's how you keep it healthy. I guess. I guess the last four members of the occupying group at the Oregon Wildlife Refuge are said to be planning to turn themselves in this hour. Okay. No word on if they've actually surrendered or not. But they're said to be doing that. Yeah. We'll and uh, the father of Ammon and Ryan Bundy, who led that right. occupation in Oregon, Cliven Bundy, was arrested at the Portland International Airport as he tried to make his way to the wildlife refuge. Interesting. And now he's in jail awaiting trial on his charges stemming from the 2014 standoff that he was involved in. Uh, plus he owes a million bucks in taxes, right? There's a million bucks. Also, a new Harry Potter book will be published this summer. Author J.K. Rowling announced Wednesday, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. A new two-part play set to debut on a London stage will be released in book form July 31st, the day after the stage show's premiere. Hmm. The eighth installment is based on a new story by Rowling, Jack Thorne, and John Tiffany. Um, hope, hopefully all these names mean something to people. Hmm. Um, I haven't Not read me. or know much about it. The special rehearsal edition script book features Harry working at the Ministry of Magic and raising three kids of his own. And it goes on from there. And, Harry Potter, more books. Right. And it just continues to make more money. That's My, my wife's like, I thought that was over. And I went, there's money to be made. Of course it's not yeah. over. I think there's a lot more you can do with that. Just with our minds, we could create a lot of great storylines around Harry Potter. Hey, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking with Dr. Gay Hendricks about, uh, about how to create a thriving relationship at midlife and beyond. You know, the one thing about relationships, they can last a long time, right? So let's figure out a way to take care of them past midlife and, uh, and, and you know, how to turn them up and create something uh, really powerful 
as we're aging. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, remember that loving feeling that you first had when you were married? You were so smitten by love that you thought uh, it would feel like that every day for the rest of your life. 30 years later, though, a pile of bills, a carload of kids later, you're starting to notice that feeling has been fading. Many couples in their midlife begin to feel like they've lost the spark that they once had. But it doesn't have to be that way. Dr. Gay Hendricks, co-author of the book Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create a Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond. He joins us today from Ojai, California, and is here to teach us about how to regain that loving feeling. Uh, Dr. Gay Hendricks, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much, Matt. It's really great being with you. You bet. Good to have you. And I'm, I'm really excited about the topic because... There, you know, we have an aging population, right? Baby boomers getting older, midlife on. Relationships are hard, I guess, at any stage, but it, it's really hard to keep them keep the fire going, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, it's it's not so much hard as it is. It just takes dedication yeah. and commitment. Uh, you can accomplish just about anything in a relationship if you put your mind to it. The big problem, though. By the time a lot of people get to midlife and have been in a long-term relationship, they've also settled into a bunch of patterns and habits that need to be changed in order to bring zest back to the relationship. The good thing to know is just a few seconds or a few minutes a day is really all it takes. My wife and I have been uh, together now for 36 years, Mm. and uh, actually last month uh, we met each other 36 years ago. And so we've had, you know, the the typical relationship in in the U.S., I think, now lasts about four and a half or five years. So in 36 years, we've gone through seven different marriages. Wow. You know, things change, and you really need to keep changing up your habits. But if you do it right, well, like in our case, uh, I'm more in love with Kathleen than I ever was 36 years ago, even though I was wildly in love with her then. There's a way you can keep falling in love over and over and over again and bringing zest and energy back to the relationship. Oh, that's so hopeful because, I mean, I think part of it is, like you're saying, it's it's a muscle. It's a, You have to work it. You have to exercise connection and this... this um, this feeling of love, you can't just assume it's going to just be there. You know, you, you, you're absolutely right. It's like it's given to us as a gift maybe first when we're in our teens or yeah. 20s. But what you really have to do is keep uncovering deeper and deeper levels of yourself, and that allows you, of course, to know your partner at deeper and deeper levels. A lot of times, though, people get kind of stuck. You know, it's, it's just like if, if you're you know, if you painted your house seven years ago, then seven years later, you may not even pay attention to it. You know, right. it's, um, it's there, but it's not something that's making an impact. So from midlife and beyond, one of the great developmental psychologists, uh, Eric Erickson at Harvard, once said that from midlife onward, you have to make a daily choice 
between creativity and stagnation. Mm. And so every day after 40 or so, on up into your 70s, 80s, 90s, and wherever you end up, you're going to have to be making choices that favor creativity or regeneration. You've got to be making commitments to learning new things all the time. And that actual, that's probably the single biggest factor, Matt, in the research that my wife and I did with um, about 4,500 couples over the years. We found that from midlife on, you really have to make a big commitment to learning new things every day, to mm. staying alive in your mind and your heart. And I was just watching a program this morning on Alzheimer's, and they were saying the very same thing about Alzheimer's, about the importance of, um, as a preventative, to keep learning new things and taking on bigger and bigger adventures. And so I think that's the single biggest key is that big-time commitment to learning something every day that you didn't know yesterday. Well, and how how powerful too i mean i guess what our instinct is though is we quit jobs we quit our work we we retire i guess and then we can just go rest or we always think then we'll just go do what we want to do but there's something sometimes about working and having to be in the workforce that actually forces your learning in a way um, every day that might keep you more alive as well. But how do we engage new learning together? What And how do I get over my fear of risking and trying something new? How do we do that as we age? That's a great question. Well, I think that the main thing is that both people in a relationship need to make a commitment to learning and growing because oftentimes there's an unconscious contract that forms between couples, which is if I won't if I won't grow, you won't either. Mm. In other words, if you agree not to grow, I agree not to grow either. Right. Let's stay stuck in the same rut together. And in fact, one of the biggest problems that we confront when people first come to us, to our seminars or, or to our offices, is that they've kind of sunk into a state of despair that's sort of like sleepwalking in a way, that they're going through the same kind of patterns over and over again and don't even realize that they are actually patterns. And so one of the things that we ask people to do right away that all your listeners can do at this moment also is to ask yourself a big question, which is, what is it that I'd most love to learn about myself? Or what would I most love to learn about the world? And what would I most love to learn about my partner? To shift from that despairing sleepwalking mode into a state of wonder and curiosity. Hmm. Wonder and curiosity don't cost us anything. They're internally generated, yet many of us don't take advantage of our own natural powers of wonder and curiosity to really rebirth our lives. Oh, wow. And it's interesting because it's just a question, except deep inside of us, there's there, there's probably this really deep learning, this deep desire to go to go manifest some some learning about that. What happens if you have a spouse, though, that really doesn't have an answer? Well, you know, that's a really important thing, I think, for everybody to consider. Let me just tell you a, a quick story. I have yeah. to be on a one time many years ago, I was sitting on a park bench in um, in the Tuileries in Paris, and I was sipping an espresso there at the little cafe, and I'd just gone out for a walk, and um, Katie was back home sleeping in, and I was taking a walk around the gardens and uh, on a vacation, 
And I sat on the park bench, and a woman who's in her 60s sat down next to me, and we struck up a conversation, and I said something positive about her sneakers. She had on this brand-new pair of great-looking sneakers, and I said, "Uh, those look brand-new. And she said, yes, they're my sixth pair on this trip. (laughs) And I said, what? And she had started walking from Arizona and had walked all the way across America and then was walking across Europe, and she'd worn out six pairs of sneakers along the way. And I noticed that she had a wedding ring on, and I said, is your husband with you? And she said, oh, no, he didn't want to come. He just wanted to watch TV and sit in front, wow. front of the, on the couch back in Arizona. And she, so yeah. she'd taken off without him. And to me, that, that's, that's a stunning example of what often can happen, is that one person has a deep desire to grow, but the other person has almost an equally deep desire to stay put and stay stuck. Now, not all of us want to walk around the world right. when we're in our 60s, but inside you have to realize that it's usually fear of some sort that's blocking that desire to learn. I think the desire to learn, we've all got it built way down within mm-hmm. us. It's just we let that muscle get atrophied or it goes to sleep over the years. And so we ask people when they come here to make a what we call a co-commitment, which is both people making a commitment to change and learn and grow and add that to the relationship. Mm. And so to get underneath all of that fear and get to a new place of commitment. And what's powerful to me about the idea of growing together is if if we're growing together, um, like you were saying, it's going to stretch me. I'm going to stretch myself, and my wife will stretch her her mindset, her paradigms. But as I'm stretching, it only increases our ability to have more together in the yes, relationship. Think, yes, Matt. I think that a lot of people do fear, though, that if their partner grows or they grow and change, it's going to somehow disturb the equilibrium yeah. in the relationship right. and rock, rock the boat, so to speak. But I think the boat really needs to be rocked yeah. because, yeah. you know, we have a situation here in America anyway of, um, you know, there's that 50% divorce rate, which is shockingly high, but also a lot of people don't realize that the rates for second and third marriages, the divorce rate is even higher. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes up to like 55% or 60% by the time you're on your third marriage. And what that says to me having been in a relationship now for 36 years, is that you come to these choice points where you have to decide, am I going to grow and change, or am I going to stay stuck in my old patterns? And you keep getting these over and over again. I mean, Kathleen and I have been through many sequences of that over the years where we'll find ourselves kind of taking each other for granted or, you know, bored with each other or something like that. And and yet underneath it always is that yearning desire to deepen the intimacy, to learn what you need to learn and go beyond that. So I think we can do something significant about those divorce divorce rates if we begin to do what we talk about in Conscious Loving Ever After, which is to turn your relationship 
into a living laboratory of what can I learn here? What do I need to know about myself and my partner to make this even more of a thriving relationship. Mm, love it. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Gay Hendricks, auth- co-author of the book Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create a Thriving Relationship at Midlife and Beyond. We'll take a break, come back, continue the learning with Dr. Hendricks, and uh, we got to hurry because he's got to get to his golf game. Stick with us, folks. Uh, what a great life and great uh, example for how to create learning throughout our relationship. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us from Ojai, California, Dr. Gay Hendricks. He is the co-author of Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond. He's teaching us the tools of um, to, how to create a kind of a continuous learning relationship, one that's that's stretching and, and really creating a commitment in our lives to risk more learn more together, and by so doing, becoming more. And um, and even you know being able to increase what we have uh, going on between us. It's powerful. Uh, Dr. Hendricks, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate you and your listeners for looking into this issue because there are 70 or 80 million of us that are you know, in our 40s or beyond, and there's a lot more life available to us now than there was in my granddad's generation, my grandma's generation, you know, a longer lifespan and that kind of thing. So it's really a huge, great investment to put time and energy into your growing your relationships. Our experience is that it only takes 10 minutes a day to really start. An investment of 10 minutes a day is huge factor in giving yourself a new life in relationship, whether that 10 minutes is spent journaling or taking a walk together or uh, whatever you do. My wife and I have very different approaches to uh, learning and adventure. She loves much more physical adventures than I do. Like she uh, parachuted out of an airplane and she invited (laughs) me to go along with her. But I said, honey, there's no way I'm going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. You're crazy. That's crazy. And, uh, but she loved it. She had a great time, still talks about it. And I'm still fine with not doing it. Yeah, like right. Uh, so you can be different, right? You don't have to be exactly the same. But did you enjoy it for her? I, mean, I really did. You probably did. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, it, you know, it scared me at the time. But, um, you know, the, just hearing her talk about it later was great. It was as if we both had a chance to do it. So, you know, that's kind of an extreme thing. But what I'm saying is, and what I think you're saying is that you don't have to do things exactly the same way, hand in hand. You know, like like my wife also loves poetry. So she went off to um, a seminar a while back where she spent two days working with this really great poet. Now, that's the kind of thing that uh, I would jump off a bridge before I had to do something. <laughs> right, right. But, <laughs> and, but you can go golfing, and she, I mean, she could go on in the cart with you. I mean, you, could, you can find ways to blend it. It's really true, and I think many people, so many people now, give up on relationships too quickly before, you know, before they've really had a chance to make a big-time commitment to changing and learning and growing and 
opening up new parts of themselves. Yeah. So that's, I think, what really can help bring down that divorce rate. And two, I mean, yeah, it's like it's almost like relationships are kind of, you know, they're just they're they're, I guess, reusable. I mean, re, not re, yeah, we just toss them. They're, we can just discard it because yes. there's a better one or another one that will offer me more. Yeah, and I think that's such a mistake to make. I mean, sometimes you really do need to. We found that um, you know certain numbers of couples really do need. They, they're safer and better off not in each other's presence. But I think a lot of people give up too soon in the sense of they haven't. They've kind of gotten stuck in a certain pattern and haven't found a way to break through it. So it's really they they need to get a divorce from that pattern in themselves rather than with the other person because. What we've found is a lot of people, if you don't open up and start learning what you need to know, you just keep repeating the same pattern Mm -hmm. in a future relationship. And it's really you. You can change the pattern today. Exactly. But even unilaterally, right? I mean, I can change the pattern. It doesn't mean – I mean, I could change it and go be without my spouse, but I could also change it and find a way to be with my spouse. That's really true. In fact, that's very key because – both people don't wake up at the same time in relationships. You know, right. if you look at the statistics about, like, uh, there's, there was a study done on who makes the first, who who makes the call to a relationship counselor when there's a problem in the relationship, and 96% of the time it was the woman hmm. um, that made the call, and so the, um, you know, the, a lot of times I think women wake up before we do, we men do, in relationships to the patterns and that kind of thing. And I can remember in my own early days with Katie where she would try to point out something and I would get defensive and, uh, you know, kind of criticize her or push her away or something like that. And so it took me a while to really learn to value what I'm talking about here. Yeah, right. You know, I'm I'm my own best customer because I don't think we would have survived the first couple of years had it not been for learning the kinds of things that we later wrote about in Conscious Loving Ever After. You in in your book you also talk about attracting new love into your life. What what do you mean by that? Well, a lot of people are single in their 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s. Uh, we've had singles uh, just last weekend, for example, we did a seminar here, and we probably had people in their 60s and 70s who were looking to manifest to create a new mate in their life. And so, you know, either their partner had uh, passed away through death or they were divorced or, or whatever, they were single again in their, at midlife and beyond. And so we have a chapter in the book that talks about our approach to how singles in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s can go about creating a new relationship. And one important thing that I just want to make sure everybody hears is that it's a matter of commitment. If you really want to create a close relationship, even if you've been single, you know, we've had people in here that have been single for 20 or 30 years just because they didn't trust themselves in relationship. And then when they were 60, we helped them make some shifts inside themselves, and suddenly they realized, wait a minute, I want to be in a close relationship. Mm. And so it's very satisfying to us to see a single person, a 50 or 60 or 70-year-old person, go out and create a great new relationship. Yeah. One, yeah, one, of, one of my friends has recently, at age 86, she is, she now has a 62-year-old boyfriend. Oh, wow. 
And that's very exciting. That is exciting. Because she hadn't been in a relationship in, gosh, 40 years or something oh, wow. like that. And so uh, she was in one of those painful relationships where, where when she was done with it, she said, okay, the door is slammed. I'm never going to do anything like that again. Uh, but it's never too late to rebirth yourself. Yeah. Hey, we've got about two minutes left, Gay. Talk about um, this. I love this idea of presencing. Um, where you can get into the present to kind of tap into your your intimate everyday moments. Yes, that's really important, Matt, because many of us spend a lot of our time either having fear fantasies of the future or hopeful fantasies of the future, or we're stuck back in the past. We're thinking about things that happened that we haven't quite got over with yet or haven't completed things we were angry about in a past relationship or hurt by or scared about in a past relationship. And so what we've found is it's important to get out of both the future and the past and locate yourself right now in the here and now and focus on what's real for you this moment. Are you feeling scared in your belly or is your shoulders tight? That means you're tense and angry or is your chest feel compressed like it does when you're sad or your throat have a lump in it? What are the actual experiences that you're having in this moment? Because when you can learn to communicate about what's right now and what's real, you make much faster progress in a relationship. We say there's one word you can change that will shift everything in a relationship, and that is when you find yourself communicating in anger, shift to asking yourself, what am I afraid of? And Mm. talk about what you're afraid of in that moment rather than what you were angry about yesterday. And underneath everything that you're angry about is also something that you're scared about. But most people don't talk about their fears. They keep recycling the same anger at each other over and over. Yeah. And then we get into the pattern again. And then it just it's the same fight we've always had with each other. Interesting stuff. Well, we appreciate you, Gay. I think this is fantastic. Um, Again, they can go find the book, Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond. And what website should they go look you up on? They can go to either our Hearts in Harmony website. That's that's probably the best place, heartsinharmony.com. And uh, or to our um, regular basic web website, Hendrix.com, and that's spelled H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. Good stuff. Hearts in uh, is it Hearts in True Harmony? Uh, yes, that's one of them. But okay, also Heart- Hearts Hearts in Harmony is works also. Okay, yeah, HeartsinHarmony.com. Again, uh, Doctor Gay Hendrix, thank you so much for your great insight. Appreciate it, and go have a great golf game. Thank you, Matt. I love to play golf in California, but if I ever want to go skiing, you know where I come? I know. Come to Utah. I come to Utah. There's the best snow on earth. Oh, that's great. Come visit us next time you come, okay? You bet. Good stuff. We appreciate you. Great work. We'll take a break and uh, go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Michael for you. 
We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's uh, going on, uh, going to be coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? What's up? German, Jason Shepard. Jason. Good tunes, by the way. You like this? Love it. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because today we're celebrating Make a Friend Day. And nobody could make a friend better than Michael Jackson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I didn't. I don't know. I just threw that together. Just, I, it's good. It's yeah. one of my. It's one of my favorite albums. <gasps> Holy cow! Did somebody bring his hand Is that a sound organ? The what do they call that? The hand We've monica. Got Joel on the show today. <gasps> it's a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> That's tomorrow's song now. You know what? Um, it sounded like a cat was being boiled. Ooh. Which we do not recommend, by the way. Do not boil a cat. That's, no, that's, I've never had a good cat boiling experience. <clears throat> hey, by the way, do you guys, are you guys big cereal eaters? Yes. Yes. On the weekends. Okay, tell me, tell me if – this is the deal. This is perfect. I'm glad because Jason is so healthy. No. He is. He's super you, healthy. Like, do you remember when we used to bounce quarters off Jason's belly? <laughs> Last year during the summer? Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was awkward. That's totally awkward. Hey, um, here's the deal. Cereal. There's a guy that eats 13 bowls of cereal a day. Okay? Okay. Okay. And um, you just tell me if this is healthy, Jace. 13 bowls of cereal, um, but then he tops it with 138 spoons of sugar. Mm. And he, he, I'm not sure that there's enough. I'm not sure that there's an actual table that can count how much yeah. sugar that is. He's he's he thinks he's addicted to cereal. Wow. Well, it depends. I guess if you're throwing the sugar on it, it doesn't matter what kind of cereal. I was going to ask what kind of cereal because yeah. clearly there's more sugary cereals than well, other. Well, cornflakes. Right. I think it's just cornflakes. When I was younger, my mom wouldn't. She wouldn't buy the sugared cereal, yeah. but she'd say, you can put as much sugar as you want on it. Oh, really? I was like, that makes no sense. Is it a it's too expensive situation? <laughs> like, what's the deal here? And, and is, this, is this person in good health? Oh, no. He's gained 56 pounds. Oh. See, here's my problem with the cereal. Not only do I eat the cereal for breakfast, but in my wife, it drives my wife insane. As soon as I'm done eating a very delicious meal, I will go eat a bowl of cereal. Really? For like a dessert. It's like a dessert. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Do you put a lot of sugar on it? No, no, because I get the sugary cereals. The Cookie Crisp. Yes. The Captain Crunch. Although with my uh, braces right now, I can't do the Captain Crunch. Yeah. It's too crunchy. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, the Laffy Taffy cereal would not be good as well. <laughs> but like Corn Pops and, and Cookie Crisp. Yeah, I'm all about that. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Mm-hmm. Lucky mm. Charms. Combo. Combo. Ooh. Yeah. Mixing them up. You yeah. know, um, Combo's fun. You know, I'm not big into cereal, but I think if I put 138 spoons of sugar on it, I could probably eat a box. You got a shot. You could just eat anything. See, the only Almost anything, the yeah. only cereal that I've ever put sugar on is Rice Krispies. Oh, that's good. And and um and and just regular corn flakes because normally yeah. I'll just yeah. get the yeah. frosted flakes. Yeah, right. Oh, but, yeah. But yeah, so either it's either Rice Krispies or corn flakes are the only two cereals I've ever put sugar on. Mm. 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 And Cheerios. No. <sighs> Uh, like, straight up Cheerios. Yeah, straight up Cheerios. If, if you go with the honey nut, then they've got enough of oh, the sweetness. You don't too. need it. Yeah. I think I'm hungry. Are you guys hungry? I want some cereal now. I do, too. I shouldn't have brought it up. I, I was about to bring up the Indian carpenter with 28 fingers and toes, but instead I brought up the cereal. Now, what was we're, that again? We're both glad that you didn't. There's a carpenter in India. But you did bring it up. That has 28 fingers and toes. How does that work? Yeah, how does that even happen? He has, he has seven digits. 
on his hands and on his feet. And of all the jobs he chose, he wanted to play. I mean, he wanted to be a carpenter. Because he's got a few to spare. Yeah. 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 I, I don't you think he would have been a great, like, bowler? Piano player. Piano player. Oh, talk about Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> He could have been the actual piano man. Who's who's playing the harmonica? That would be Jerem. It's me. Jerem? That's just a preview of what's to come on the show. Today. Are you guys are you gonna do a little are you gonna do a little Billy Joel piano man with a harmonica? Well, at a certain time in the show, yes. Those that watch the show know what's coming. <laughs> is it because Spencer is gone? That yeah. You dare to, bring out the harmonica. BYU Sports Nation the musical. We've talked about it for a long time. This is big. No, it's and not today. Jason gets to be there for all of it. Yeah, I uh, lucky I'm, be here. He's I'm my, involved. He's my partner in crime on this today. Oh, are you? Yeah, are you going to do duet. the backup? You're going to do, gonna the do yeah, it's yeah, a duet. Yeah, it's a sports duet. This is a must. A sports talk opinion duet. This is a must see, a must listen to. Right, so, other than the duet, I mean, is it only one song? Or are you going to be kind of as a musical bringing in the numbers? Song will be more in the form of interviews and opinion. But yeah, uh, Mark Durant, radio analyst for the Cougars, will yeah. join us. We'll talk about the big game with San Francisco tonight. We will discuss as well. Is it a season-defining game? And if Chase Fisher can't go, who starts for him tonight? We'll discuss that. Because he is questionable for the game. Mm. BYU's leading scorer. Intrigue. Okay. Mackenzie Pulsifer hit seven threes on Saturday. Wow. She's in studio. Big game with San Francisco at home tonight as well. And then Keaton Cullimore of the tennis team will join us. He's 6-1 and one on the season. Now, are each of them going to sing something? I mean, I think it would be great yeah, if they all yeah. just, you know? Mm-hmm. They don't know it yet, but we'll ask them. Oh, this is going to be Mark great. Mark Durant should be particularly awesome. No, for sure. He, he loves to perform. But He's the Durants, they've got, a great, they've got great pipes. He's our Bill Shakespeare. He's a writer. <laughs> he wrote a book. Uh, Who is like that, a, Bill like Shakespeare? A, is it Bill Shakespeare in here? <laughs> He's a fantasy writer. Yeah. He put out a book uh, within the last year. You guys, this is going to be the best show ever. Why isn't Spencer around? He's got some good that, pipes. Are you saying it's going to be the best show ever because Spencer's not here? No, no, I'm not. I'm saying he's, I'm a, I, I'm he's okay going to miss this. He's going to miss this, and he loves to sing. He's got a game tonight. He's got it. We we wanted him to be able to sleep in, <sighs> hang out, take care of his little baby. You know. I know, but he's missing the big musical. Oh well, we'll do it again during the summer. Um, that's the all summer, you got. We always just fling stuff in the summer. We're like, eh, we'll do it. Yeah, do it in the summer when we have nothing going on. We'll do it. I hear you guys are doing a stage show in the summer too. It's a road show. It's a road show. <laughs> Will you be performing at ward buildings, church buildings around the world? We don't perform in anything smaller than a steak center. <laughs> and a minimum of $15,000. That's great. Oh, the old road shows. We haven't had many of those lately. Thank goodness those went away, man. Jeez. <laughs> no, that, that was, was some, a great decision. That was intense competition. Yeah. Churches competing against each other for the honor. Now of, it's just church ball. That tension is... Now. Yeah, see, that's what's happening. That's why church ball is so violent. (laughs) Gosh. Okay. Well, I'm, 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 I'm riveted. I will be, I'll be listening and watching the show and recording it. You're the only one. And I, and I can hardly wait for the, um, the release of your first CD. It's going to be, it's It's going to be be on vinyl only. Well, and it's (laughs) going to be all covers. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no original. No material. original stuff. Why would we? All the good stuff's been made. Why yeah. would we create? All the best musicals. <laughs> There's That's no great. good song that could possibly be made. For Nothing us. original. Yeah, BYU exactly. Sports Nation Show Tunes album. Yep. Mm. The, the soundtrack. The, the musical. soundtrack. BYUSN, the musical. That's going to be great. Okay, uh, I'm excited. Um, I can hardly wait to go see how the ratings go. Good luck. I, we can't wait either. Knock them dead, boys. See you, Matt. Ah. <sighs> Beautiful.
<laughs> well done, guys. Man, they get to do a musical? Ben, what a ripoff. We've tried that, but... Did you hear? So I talked to Don yesterday about doing a dance thing. Kind of like dancing with the stars, but dancing with Matt. You should showcase that off right now. Like, It sounds like this. Like no, this. no, you're you're supposed to do like the the singing. Here, oh no, no, here, here's I'm not. a beat. No, I'm not. No, I'm not singing. It's going to be a dancing show. It'll be the first dancing show on the radio. <clears throat> so hey, just imagine start me singing. So imagine me like moving my leg and then jumping. Do you see me jumping? So jumping. You, so you dance and I'll narrate it all. <laughs> but Don was against it because Don said, "I don't think I don't think dance will work on radio." But I don't think he's creative like us. Yeah, I think... He's like, ah, I don't see it, Matt. I'm like, you don't have to see it. Don, you feel it. You feel it. Anyway, that'll take a while to convince him. That's one reason we're going to start streaming. I want to do some video streams. We already do... um, What's it called on Twitter? Tweeting? No, when you video. Oh, I don't know. Anyway. We've already been videoing and, and putting it out on Twitter because we want to show everybody that there's more to the show than just these incredibly rich, deep voices. Yeah, we could even showcase the taser on the live stream. Yeah, we could, we could, that. we could do a live tase. Live tase. In fact, let's we'll do one. First, the very first show that we live stream, we'll do a live tase, and I will tase you. Well, I, I think the talent should be like the, the center stage. So right, the talent will. I, I, I can tase you and then. No, 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 no. But because you, the camera's going to be pointed towards you, not well, towards obviously. me. Well, no, but when, you, when I'm tasing you, we'll put the camera on you for sure. But we'll if, if we're focused on ratings, I think you should be the one tased. No doubt. No doubt. Except we don't need to focus on ratings because we're already killing it. Know what I mean? Anywho. I don't know if you heard about this. Um, there's a man that lives next to a beach, and he went to a city council. He's an 80-something-year-old man, 85-year-old man, and he's had it. He's had it. You know what this feels like. He lives next to a beach, and he went in to complain to the local council, and you won't believe what he complained about. What would you complain about it with a beach? Like too many people at night? Bonfires. Too many naked people. Naked people, sleeper, people sleeping on the beach. Yeah. You know, vagrants. No. He complained about the sand. It's like there's sand everywhere. So dirty. And it blows in the wind. Peter Alexander claims drifting sands from the beach at Burnham-on-Sea, Somerset, England, regularly block the drains and build up on the roads and footpaths. It's like, it's like this is a beach. <laughs> so the 85-year-old has contacted the district council about the issue but claims that nobody wants to take responsibility for the sand. Man. That's the problem with governmental bureaucracies. By the just... way, the district council receives four or five complaints about the sand a year. And they are admitting the problem's getting worse. But they're not acting. Right. But the the problem is, it's a beach. 
You live on a beach, pal. Come to Utah. Guess what you'll complain about? Snow. Fog today. Hey, we always like to end the show on a hero story, something that lifts us all up. Today's hero of uh, the the Matt Townsend show is Sylvie Palasasa. She's a Washington bus driver. When Lori Hiles boarded a transit bus, Sylvie noticed that she was visibly upset. Hiles has mobility issues and uses a bike to get around. When Pelasasa asked Hiles where her bike was, she began crying, saying, Someone took my bike. I can't understand why they would take my bike. Pelasasa felt like she needed to help. So she knows how it feels like when somebody steals something from her. So she got busy. Pelasasa asked friends through Facebook if they could pitch in money. And within a few days, she had raised more than $400 to buy Hiles a new bike. They went shopping on Saturday morning. Pelasasa says Hiles still has a hard time comprehending that somebody would steal from her. But at the same time, she's happy and she's just in awe that somebody would reach out and help her. But how do you not? I just couldn't let it go. So, Sylvie Pelasasa, a bus driver in Washington, you are the hero of the day on The Matt Townsend Show. That's it, folks. It's all it takes to be the hero. See a need. Open your heart. Let the compassion come in. Do what you can. I think that's all we need on this earth are more people willing to just open up their hearts, feel some compassion, and do what we can. Fewer critics, more compassionate souls. That's one of the goals of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. Look us up. Go find the BYU Radio app. Download it, and you can get every show, every podcast. Or go to iTunes and download our podcast uh, on that side as well. Till tomorrow, folks, take care of each other. Watch each other's backs. We'll talk again tomorrow.